I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Rory and Kid here from the award-winning podcast, This Paranormal Life. Every week we investigate a paranormal story and decide if it's real or a hoax. Like the time a guy claimed he punched Bigfoot. Or when a UFO showed up at a football game in front of thousands of people. Each episode has sound effects, music, and storytelling that feels so real, you'll never sleep again. You will. Stop it. You're going to scare away new listeners. Check out This Paranormal Life every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I covered my car with it, and now it's lost. Has anyone seen a 2014 BMW in the woods? Don't play. It's mine. This is a remarkably chilling development in this story. Uh, we know that Todd Kolhep is now claiming he tried to tell investigators at the time of his arrest last year that, yes, he has more victims. But he says authorities did nothing about it. Solid locks. Have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure will slow them down till they're too old to care. It was the case that riveted the nation. Kayla Brown discovered alive after she was chained up for two months by the ankle and neck and held in a metal shipping container on this property in rural South Carolina. Her boyfriend later found dead in a shallow grave nearby. Haven't stabbed anyone yet, but I am keeping the dream alive. And when I do, it'll be with a quality tool like this. In an eight-page letter to the Spartanburg Herald-Journal, Colep writes, there is more than seven. I tried to tell investigators, and I did tell FBI, but it was blown off. Colep saying his killing spree may have crossed state lines and even borders, writing at this point, I really don't see reason to give numbers or locations. Welcome to I Could Murder a Podcast Series 8, episode number 8, all the 8, and here's my mate, <laughs> Ben Carter. Thank you so much, really good to be here, all the 8's uh, favourite number, Symmetry, um, and uh, yeah, big fan of, of that shape. Uh, how are we doing, boys? How's producer Dan this afternoon? Yeah, very good, I'm very good. Um, first of all, Tom, am I your mate as well? Just oh yeah. Just checking. Oh That's, yeah. You know, I just wanted to make sure it's all good. You're a bloody groomsman. Second of all, would you would you like a true crime riddle? Uh, yes, please. I might make this a thing. Actually, I might make a jingle. We'll see how Dan's it goes. Riddle. I'm going to keep it nice and straightforward uh, for this first one. And I don't know if we want to answer the riddle. If you know the riddle, should we leave it till later? Could ask it, then we could answer it later. Yeah, perhaps. Okay. Here comes the riddle. A woman shoots her husband before holding him underwater for five minutes. Later, they head out for a romantic dinner together. How can this be? Hmm. I've got the first bit. Hmm. I've got an idea. I've got an idea, yeah. Okay, well, ha- mull it over and... Um... I'm not making note of the riddle or Googling either. My hands are here. I was but... Googling right down my answer. D- d- oh, okay. Fair play. Okay. My answer's here. Oh, God. I could lose it. I, could I actually played it. Poo Sticks the other day. Did you? Get on. How was it? Uh, third out of five. Third out of five. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we are back once again with a, with a new case. So I was speaking to Ben Moss doing the research for this case, and I was saying to him how I've seen this uh, the name, the Amazon Review Killer, that's the case we're doing, um, bounded around. And I've always thought that it was kind of 
one you wouldn't take too seriously. Like it was perhaps someone got a little angry about an Amazon review on his product or something, and then he overreacted. But mm. looking into this case, it's very dark, and there's a lot of layers to it, like like an Amazon packaging. A lot of layers to it. Mm. it. It's a fascinating case, but it's one that, yeah, as I said, I didn't think it would have so much going on yeah definitely that i think uh i think you see the title and you see some of the sort of the reviews that he left and it's it's a bit too sort of there is a comical element to it but oh my goodness either side of this that we've got what we've got kidnapping we've got abduction we've got animal cruelty we've got a serial killer we've got confinement um it's they, there is so much going on take them uh, out of my basket <laughs> yeah i'm not ordering that please <laughs> No, but seriously, I'm not. And as well, like, um, yeah, we're looking at the review- reviews he, he left, which obviously we'll go into. I, I kind of thought he could be he could be called the dad banter killer, just because it's just dad jokes, yeah. really just lame. And um, I know people will say I'm guilty of those myself, but yeah, it's it's bizarre the little clues, little breadcrumbs he left lying around. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know if this was his attempt at kind of some giving himself some sort of normality whilst immersed in all these horrible, horrific crimes that he was committing, or it's literally also could be argued that that's part of his personality and how he was, because when you see him interacting with, and there's so much footage from this case, the interrogation, the trial, his arrest, um, you, his sense of humour is very warped as well, um, as you can tell from the reviews, but he also sort of laughing and joking whilst being arrested. Uh, which is a which is is a first for me, um, but yeah, super interesting case. We've gone from uh, TripAdvisor reviews to Amazon reviews, um, so we're all about the reviews this week. But it's an interesting one. We do hope everybody enjoyed last week's episode, which was the case of the missing Dutch backpackers of Panama or the death in the cloud forest. Um, that was yeah. I mean, we've had lots of different opinions in terms of what people feel happened to the girls or what the outcome was, whether there was human involvement or it was just purely an accident. So yeah, do keep your feedback. Coming our way we really do appreciate it um yeah just on there ben yeah i put a little poll or not poll a question on them um, onto our spotify just asking people um basically what they believe was to happen and we had lots of people replying on on our spotify we did put post questions on there so be sure to have a look in there and answer and get involved on there but the majority think it's tour guide f oh wow um essentially a lot of people saying he looks very he seems very dodgy no that's the way we lent as well in, in, whilst doing the research so uh, yeah. we did go quite heavy on him towards the end didn't we but then there just seems to be so many areas that he can't, he can't look dodgy on so um. well um, yeah we're back with another episode this week in the meantime just listening to our podcast leaving us a nice review means the world and is, is so supportive of what we're trying to do here but if you just can't wait until next week's episode and would like to support the podcast then at the time of recording we have got 123 episodes extra exclusive episodes that are available now on audio and video platform over on icmap.co.uk and we just added a cult episode we haven't done a cult in a while the anthill kids which was a a super super bleak one so icmap.co.uk the third installment of our side podcast just went live as well and producer dan has has written the fourth episode of that which i'm excited about ai carumba so we've just been uh, frosted and uh, the next episode i believe dan is caved it was going to be buried that doesn't happen um but it's very fun very very scary very spooky and very dark as well but yeah we have a website there's a whole host of extra goodies over there merchandise early access to episodes private discord and monthly live streams so why not check that out um it would uh, it'd be hugely appreciated but don't worry just listening to the podcast is also significantly appreciated bloody beautiful thank you so this week's case is the case of todd cole hep the amazon review killer the superbike motorsports murders the girl in the container the devil unchained 
the South Carolina Slayings, Big Bad Todd Trikes. Uh, I think Ben might have made that last one up. My hands were above the table here. Um, I don't believe that's one of mine. Oh. No. It's one of mine. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yes, um, yeah. Well, as we said, this case it has has everything. And it, it's, um, it's one that, as I said, you might not take it seriously by the title, but it gets very dark. And then Danny Boy is going gonna, is gonna to set the scene for us. Todd Colhep, now more infamously known as the Amazon Review Killer, sent shockwaves through society with his heinous, systematic series of crimes. Acting as a real estate agent by day, Colhep lured multiple innocent victims into his web of terror, concealing them within his second life. He transformed his sprawling property into a chamber of horrors, where his captives face unimaginable suffering. His twisted desires led to a string of cold-blooded murders, carried out with ruthless precision. But what truly earned him his chilling moniker was his audacious move of leaving distressed reviews on products he had purchased on Amazon. An eerie and arrogant attempt at normalcy amidst his gruesome acts. Describing locks that won't stop and knives that keep the dream alive, Carl Hepp's reign of terror exposed a darkness far beyond anybody's comprehension, revealing a mind capable of unspeakable cruelty and a trail of shattered lives that would forever haunt the record books of criminal history. So I think that gives us a really good flavour for what we're going to be discussing today. Um, I think he's, he's fr- from looking into this a bit deeper, he's certainly had an absolutely horrific childhood and there is certainly a point to be made about the argument between uh, nurture and nature. Um, but still to this day, there's not a lot of regret, not a lot of sympathy, not a lot of empathy uh, in his personality and it's, it still remains a very sort of active uh, case to date uh, and on him uh, potentially having more than the seven victims that we're going to discuss in this episode Todd Colehep said the following I've never done anything to anybody who didn't have it coming at this point I really don't see a reason to give additional numbers or locations so it's worth noting that Todd as well uh, we'll, we'll get into it later on in the case he does like to uh, be in the headlines be spoken about be talked about so some things he says later on has to be taken with a pinch of salt for sure he does live in his own world a lot with what he's saying and why he th- why he believes he done things, why he believes he's, you know, it, it was fine for him to act in the way he did as well. So it's a very, very interesting one with lots of layers to it and lots of ways. If you look at things from different ways, it's a very, very interesting case. Oh, he would absolutely, uh, absolutely give himself five stars, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. If he was to rate himself. So a disclaimer for this week's episode, like many of the cases we do discuss here on the podcast, we're going to be discussing at length incidents of an incredibly violent nature, including sexual assault, child abuse, animal cruelty and suicide. Um, so uh, just uh, to bear that in mind with this week's episode, it, it does go down a lot of different avenues this week. Yes, indeedy. So we're going to start with the early life as we normally do. Um, and we're going to see if there's any red flags or red deliveries, red little packages um, that pop up early on in in Todd uh, Christopher Colehep's life. And uh, I think, yeah, you'll agree with us that there's some early signs of worrying behaviour. Todd Christopher Colehep was born Todd Christopher Samsel on the 7th of March 1971 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He was the only child born to William Samsel and Regina Reggie Take. He had an isolated, highly troubled childhood and early life, marked by various difficulties as well as highly disturbing behaviour. And straight away, one of the first articles I read about this man stated... 
Todd Christopher Colehep has been angry ever since he learned to walk and talk, which I thought was frighteningly accurate. Although in some of the interrogation footage and his actual arrest, he's very sort of jovial, laughing and joking with these arresting officers. Um, he also, you can see him with the flick of a switch, turn into a completely different person. And it, although I felt that quote was very accurate, it wouldn't surprise me based on his childhood if he had a lot of anger in him, even as a baby. It's a weird thing to say about a grown man, but I could imagine him in an adult, adult diaper. Adult nappy. Um, Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Uh, that guy who's the baby from the slogan earlier on who wears the uh, big nappy layer on. I can imagine him doing that in a, in a life... Uh, what's the word, life? I forgot life. about the film then, the Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. I thought that was sort of a, a weird innuendo about maybe shitting yourself. Nope. No. Just a kid's movie. Um, For fuck's sake, what's the, <laughs> I can get the meatballs being... You're the, talking about a diaper then to go onto that, so I just assumed. What was it called? Live oh, action cool. remake. If they did that of that, he could, I could make sure him playing that role. Oh, That's okay. what I was trying to say. Yeah, not, yeah, no, no, no shit in the, in the nappy. Yeah. Todd's early years were shaped by an incredibly tumultuous family dynamic. During the first two years of his life, his parents would regularly get into verbal and physical confrontations in front of their newborn baby. The family lived in a relatively quiet, upper-middle-class neighbourhood within a small town in Georgia. However, neighbours would regularly have to call the police due to fears of domestic abuse, which put additional strain on the family. His parents divorced when he was just two years old after only four years of marriage, and he was raised primarily by his mother, Regina, who had gained predominant custody from this point onwards. Regina moved with her toddler Todd to upstate South Carolina, whilst his father, William, moved to the other side of the country, taking up residence in Tempe, Arizona. According to reports, Todd's relationship with his mother was strained from this point onwards, and she struggled with alcoholism as a fallout from the divorce. As a result, Todd faced instability and neglect during his formative years, which had a profound impact on his life later on. Todd's father, William, who was a military veteran, would not see his son again for the next eight years. With many divided on whether this was a decision made by William or a decision made by Regina. Either way, this absolutely fueled a sense of abandonment within the youngster. Regina would remarry just a year after her divorce from William, marrying long-term friend Carl Colehep in 1974. A couple years later, age five, Todd took the last name of Colehep when his stepfather Carl legally adopted him into the family together with his two step-siblings. Immediately, a young Todd found it difficult to adjust to his new family dynamic and regularly pined for his biological father who Regina would argue wanted nothing to do with her son or now ex-wife. What may have fueled Todd's difficulty in accepting his new family dynamic is his relationship with his new stepfather, Carl. It is heavily speculated that Carl was physically abusive to Todd on a regular basis and that this fueled Todd's negative attitude towards him. However, it is also believed that, even as a youngster, Todd had numerous emotional and behavioural difficulties that Carl felt the only way to deal with would be to discipline. Later psychological reports found that Todd had an unhealthy and unstable relationship with his stepfather and often declared in front of the entire family that he wanted to live with his biological father, William, over in Arizona. See, I was not, not aware that so much had happened, even he's not even four years old at this point. He's had a, a really rough uh, upbringing and uh, yeah, he's declared in front of the whole family, I just want to leave, I don't want to be here, I think he's got some identity issues. But the more you dive into this case, the more the finger seems to be pointed at Todd's behaviours and mental state as a child um, and kind of his, his mother and stepfather point to this as well as his biological father, but it also seems like he was kind of written off 
from from early on and wasn't given much of a chance uh, whatsoever. And he was born into such an unstable and seemingly unsupportive environment. So, yeah, it, it's tough. As a child, Todd exhibited behavioural problems and showed significant signs of aggression. He was known to have a volatile temper, leading to frequent conflicts with his peers and authority figures, even when in nursery school and junior school, which, again, I got confused about the different school systems in America. little look at that for you. Nursery school between three and five kindergarten between four and seven elementary five to ten and then high school 11 to 18 roughly obviously there's kind of summer birthdays kindergarten till like seven apparently yeah i thought kindergarten was the earliest one like like we have playgroup here yeah i mean they overlap massively sort of for summer birthdays and that three to five four to seven then you get elementary at five yeah it's just well it might be some four-year-olds and some six-year-olds starting because of you know yearly drifts i don't think drift my two years though you're seven and then you're going into elementary school with a bunch of five-year-olds i don't think that would yeah you'd Some say people... ru- you said roughly and i guess yeah. we just we could maybe just I covered myself with roughly yeah very roughly very roughly of course but yeah i mean he was having issues at nursery school and kindergarten um so he was 12 of... at that time <laughs> but yeah very very aggressive and i think he that is learned behavior Um, either from biological father and mother or stepfather and mother. Um, He was, yeah, very, very confrontational with with all the other children in his his class. He was very much a bully boy, yeah. Tantrum Todd. Tumultuous Todd. Yeah, that was bad. Anyway, at the nursery school and with his step-siblings at home, Todd would regularly be disruptive and get into trouble. Troublesome Todd should have thought of that one he would often destroy other children's clothing and property whilst teachers at the school were all increasingly more aware that he was physically and verbally aggressive to other children from as early as four years old through to eight years old on more than one occasion particularly as he grew older Todd would destroy other students school projects imagine just one of those big volcanoes yeah he just goes karate chop um, chop it that's bold yeah he chop it and turns it just to a null from a volcano to a knoll. And his aggressive nature meant that he was kept away from any classroom pets that were kept, which is, that's significant. If your mm. teacher's going, let's not give the hamster to Todd. Yeah. Which you think some animals, you know, can calm people down, chill them out, but the teachers saw something within him, which was like, no. Yeah, they're essentially guarding him from any of the, the classroom pets. Um, which, is that an American? F- f- tend to see it on the movies, don't you? They have like a little guinea pig or a rabbit or hamster. Remember um, there being stick insects in my primary oh, school? Oh, nice. We had a uh, hamster that we could take home on the weekends, yeah. Oh, you took it home on the weekends, did you? Yeah. Nice. To teach responsibility. Mm. Ben, you just had that, that rock, didn't you? Yeah. Pet rock, yeah. And you killed it. <laughs> Threw it into a uh, volcano. According to his mother, Regina, who we will talk about in a lot more detail towards the end of the episode, she said... We were told by teachers and other parents that Todd would simply sit in a corner and could only interact with other children in an angry manner. At the time, and even now, we have no idea where this tendency could have come from. One of the things I heard about Todd was essentially he pined to be with his dad. He kind of dreamt of this fairy tale idea that he would go with his dad and his dad would understand him and everything would be peachy clean. But um, when you get on to how that doesn't quite play out, but that's the only real thing you can kind of see apart from perhaps he was you know, being bullied a little bit and it didn't go on with stepdad. There's nothing else to really suggest why he was such an angry, angry child. No, I think he definitely felt very, very abandoned with his, you know, with his parents splitting so young and then not feeling fully accepted into the uh, adopted family. But his biological mother was still with him. And I don't know, he just constantly seemed to have anger in his heart. 
What is clear is that Todd struggled academically and socially, often feeling alienated from his classmates. Whilst it is highly likely that this was caused by the problems he was facing at home and in his strained family life, many have questioned why social services or even the education system did not do more to intervene in the matter, especially with what was to come in his teenage years. Even as an infant, Todd showed severe signs of emotional and mental instability. He was violent towards other children and destroyed school property in sudden fits of anger. By the mere age of nine, he started to receive counselling and was sent to be analysed at a local mental health facility where it was deemed that he was, quote, explosive and already preoccupied with sexual thoughts and desires. And again, to reiterate, he was just nine years old at this point. Whilst all of this was happening, Todd still had no contact with his biological father and his mother and stepfather had actually ended up divorcing and getting remarried, all within a handful of years. So again, yeah, relationship role models there have not been too kind to him. And again, I think as Tom said, he was the whole the whole period was dreaming of a life with his dad, who was this hero of his when actually didn't turn out to be that case whatsoever. This placed additional strain and disruption on an already volatile family dynamic and is likely the cause of Todd's desire to lash out and cause harm to others reaching an all-time high. So like many other serial killers we have covered on the podcast, Todd made the decision before he had even reached his teenage years to take out his frustrations on those who could not defend themselves. After getting into a few minor altercations at school, Todd often came out on the losing end, so he made the decision instead to cause harm to animals. So a little trigger warning here, as Bed mentioned earlier on, um, this particular part is quite hideous and uh, it goes into quite a bit of detail about what he would do to an animal. Todd chased and isolated a small dog before shooting it more than a dozen times with a BB gun. He regularly kicked, threw and even attempted to strangle neighbourhood cats and he once poured bleach into a goldfish bowl at his local Boy Scouts club causing the goldfish to die and Todd to be kicked out of the Boy Scouts. As a result of his continually escalating behaviours, Todd's mother first tried to convince her ex-husband, William, to regain sole custody of Todd, but he allegedly refused. She then made the decision to send him to a psychiatric hospital in Georgia as an inpatient due to his continued inability to get along with other children, aggression towards other family members, and reported cruelty to animals. Todd would spend the next three and a half years at this hospital, before being released to his biological father's care in Arizona. He was 9 when he entered the hospital and 13 when he left it. So whilst at the hospital, Todd was evaluated many times, with one report stating that during psychological evaluations, Todd had indicated that his favourite hobby was collecting weapons, a trait he said that he shared with his biological but distant father, who claimed to be a special forces soldier, mercenary and arms dealer. He taught him how to blow things up and make bombs. So there's, yeah, he's 13 now at this point and there is so much that's already happened. He's obviously been not kicked out of school, but removed from the school system because of his behaviours. He's had a very, very difficult uh, family life. He's had a st- struggles with a sense of identity uh, and now animal cruelty and um, so much aggression this whole time. So he's now finally, eight years after his father left, he's now finally reunited with him, but things don't quite go to plan. So when he arrived in Arizona to live with his biological father, it was as if he had moved in with a complete stranger. Though he was initially happy to be reunited with his dad, he was full of resentment for the fact that his father had not been present to this point in his life, and blamed him for a lot of difficulties during the early years of his life. Todd found it extremely difficult to bond with his father and, one evening after a particularly challenging day at his new school, Todd came home went into his father's toolkit and smashed his own bedroom up with a hammer. 
When his father returned from work, he found his son still holding the hammer with a firm grip, and though he was in a state of anger and shock, he calmed Todd down before removing the hammer from the room. Despite this, things seemed to normalise after the first few months of living together. The following school year, Todd even took the name Todd Samsel, so he kind of went back to his birth name, or at least began referring to himself by the name at school and to his friends and family. Todd also took on his first job where he worked as a dishwasher and a busboy at his father's restaurant, uh, which I, I like this name, Billy's Famous for Ribs. So I imagine just a big Billy's at the top and then Famous for Ribs underneath, a sort of neon sign there. Maybe not neon. Um, but he also did some landscape gardening on the side and later worked for a brief period at a Burger King. So yeah, busboy and dishwasher at Billy's Famous for Ribs. Dishwasher. 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 There you go. Todd's biological father, William, would later say, Todd was highly troubled. I regret not being there for him, but I have to ask questions of Carl and Reggie. The only emotion my son was capable of was anger and madness. Whilst his mother, Reggie, responded with, I believe my son's problems might be because he never knew his father. So yeah, a lot of blame casting or blame shifting uh, between the two parents there. But again, I feel like at this point, he's kind of been passed from pillar to post between the two parents and also kind of written off by both of them already. And he's not even, he's just entered his teenage years at this point. He bought a jigsaw, it came with an extra piece and Todd's that extra piece. Kind of, yeah. No need. Oh, what's that no need? That's what they're saying, the parents, oh. the bad parents. But you always yeah. keep a spare in case you lose a bit. Right. So you have a single you have a spare for every puzzle piece. Todd's father wasn't exactly the perfect role model, as we kind of alluded to, even when the pair were finally reunited. William would regularly have lots of different girlfriends over to his property and would get physically intimate with them in front of his young son. Which I don't mm. mind the sound of that. No. As well as this, William had a large collection of pistols, rifles and hunting knives, uh, which Todd became fascinated with. Despite the pair sharing some similar interests, both of them wanted to be rid of one another. Todd liked him initially, but he soon got angry with his way of life and means. Todd requested his mother to take him back, but it's said that his mother made different excuses to extend his stay with his biological father every time he tried to come home, which is, that is... It's horrible, um, isn't it? In terms of rejection there. Imagine um, if they got really elaborate as well. Stuck at the beach. That's just one. That's quite elaborate. Yeah. Stuck at the beach because I immersed myself in the sand. There you go, that's slightly, slightly more elaborate. And the tide's coming in. Oh. Okay, yeah, that's, I guess that is elaborate. So yeah, at this point, I, I believe Todd's behaviours would continue to escalate. He also then began to make threats of ending his own life um, as a result of his mother not wanting to take him home. So she would make different excuses every few months to not have him back and he would then begin to make sort of more, um, more threatening demands about her taking him back to the point where he then began to consider or at least make threats of, of suicide. Despite all of this turmoil, Todd somehow began to perform well at school as he entered his teenage years. He was considered a highly intelligent student capable of above average intelligence. Many of his different teachers described him as bright but socially awkward. He even slowly began to form different small friendship groups and would also work up the nerve to start talking to girls. During this time, Todd enrolled at the University of Arizona but did not complete his studies. This brief period of positivity would end very drastically and very darkly. In his adolescence, Todd's troubles escalated once again. He was reportedly arrested for the first time at the age of 15 for an incident involving firearms that he was carrying without a license. These weapons belonged to his father, who paid a small fine for his son's release without further reprimand. Despite these initial red flags, his behaviour seemed to continually escalate further. 
Do you think the the word firearms comes from people? You from far away seeing someone shoot a gun? It looks like their arms on fire in the dark, or just at any time. Sorry, just any time. I think you can see it in the dark. Dan, you're a gun guy. I reckon it stems from way back when they had arrows, fire arrows. Oh wow! Firearm. Ah. It's from the 1640s, and it just means literally firearm, an arm that can fire. That's not too far away. Mm. No, not too far. Rory and Kid here from the award-winning podcast, This Paranormal Life. Every week we investigate a paranormal story and decide if it's real or a hoax. Like the time a guy claimed he punched Bigfoot. Or when a UFO showed up at a football game in front of thousands of people. Each episode has sound effects, music, and storytelling that feels so real, you'll never sleep again. You will. Stop it, you're going to scare away new listeners. Check out This Paranormal Life every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, yeah, sorry about that tangent there, guys. Tommy's tangent. Um, on the 25th of November, 1986, a then 15-year-old Todd kidnapped an unnamed 14-year-old girl in his father's hometown of Tempe, Arizona. According to police records, there's, there's kind of two accounts we've heard of this particular thing, so we'll go into both. According to police records, uh, Todd lured his neighbour three homes away with the promise that her boyfriend wanted to speak with her. Once out, he held a gun to her head and forced her to his home a few blocks south of Arizona State University. Todd then tied her up with a rope, brought her to his father's home, and brutally raped the girl. Um, his father wasn't at home at this point, he was out of town with a girlfriend for a few days. He then further threatened her with gruesome death if she told anyone about the ordeal. So the girl actually was quite quite smart at the time, and she actually you know, explained to Todd how, you know, it's fine, or we'll keep it a secret, and he, she basically talked him down from doing anything drastic at the time, because he was thinking, do I need to get rid of her? Like, is she, she going to like, basically tell on him, report him, and he'd be in trouble? Um, but yeah, she basically said, no, you know, I'm not gonna tell anyone. It's absolutely fine. Um, she, at the time when she left the house, she was, she was babysitting her two little brothers at the time. So once she went back to the house, one of the little brothers had recently learned how to use 911. They called, she, they made the call to the police cause they're worried about her sister not being there. So when she got home, the police were already there waiting for her at the house. And apparently she was actually going with the story about her going to the house, uh, her helping Todd look for a dog for a while. And that's why she wasn't home. But um, she eventually did break and tell the police exactly what happened. Yeah, because that's that's an interesting note of this. So obviously he's done something absolutely grotesque here by uh, kidnapping a 14-year-old and, and doing those horrific things to her. But then, and his own mother will make a big point about this, but then he's walked her home. But the reason he walked her home was basically to say, look, if you tell anyone, I'm going to kill your little brother and I'm going to kill your little sister and I'm going to kill you. Whereas obviously he's walked up. His mother would later go on to claim, oh, he's not a monster. He walked her home, which yeah. is just completely warped. So his father, William, was out of town. And there are kind of, again, two different stories here. Number one, he was away on a, a business trip in Nebraska. And number two, he was away uh, for a long weekend with his one of his girlfriends. Either way, he basically had also requested one of his close friends to check in on his son. Um, and he would arrive shortly after Todd left the house with this girl. Whilst he did have her in, in the house, he tied her hands with rope and put tape over her mouth before then going on to attack her and walking her home. Um, so whatever the case may be in terms of how the police were alerted, uh, police will then follow up and, and arrive at Cole Hep's home where they found him with a rifle pointed at the ceiling. And apparently when police entered the property and convinced him to, to put the gun down, the first thing that he said to the police was, and this is a 15-year-old boy, how much time am I going to get for this? And when asked why he did it, Todd said that it was out of anger and rebellion 
towards his father. Yeah, it's very much blaming everyone else for your poor actions, essentially, and uh, not taking any responsibility for his actions whatsoever, which is something that he'll continue to do. Um, Definitely, yeah. Todd was arrested by arriving police and charged with kidnapping, sexual assault, and committing a dangerous crime against children. Three months later, in early 1987, he pleaded guilty to the kidnapping charge. However, the other charges were dropped. Now, I believe, again, it was because this young girl and her family had already been through... Uh, enough trauma that they didn't want to then take it to trial and there was there was some controversy about him being tried as a juvenile rather than tried as an adult Um, and that was an an argument that went on for months as well he was later tried as an adult and was sentenced to serve 15 years in prison and also register as a sex offender while serving his sentence todd's behavior remained troublesome and he was cited for disciplinary infractions on numerous occasions however he's also said to have maintained good behavior whilst in prison when it was coming up for his parole neither his biological father or his stepfather or even his biological mother wanted to claim responsibility for him one of the probation officers at the prison remarked it is obvious at this time that Todd has no family support system. And uh, again, yeah, I mean, he's he has been shifted between the parents. He has had a very conflictual relationship with his stepfather. But to have neither of your parents kind of wanting to regain custody of you when coming out of prison is, is yeah, is, we've, we've, we've definitely covered cases where at this point a criminal has done worse and their family have welcomed them back with open arms. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the fact is, which... You can look at it two ways. The fact that he was being a model inmate at the time, is it a fact that that's just because he's in a position where he's at somewhere where it's structure, it's discipline, and he's responded well to it? Because a lot of people, you know, say, if it wasn't for the army or it wasn't for that, then I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be alive today or, or you know, I'd be behind bars. Was it a case if he just lacked structure in his life and discipline that would have, you know, yeah. really changed the outcome of everything that was to happen is, is the thing. Here. And yeah, obviously he was leaving prison. He wanted to make a good life for himself. He wanted to, apparently he was very ambitious and would have, you know, his, his parents being there and supporting him and that, would that have changed the outcome of what, what we're going to go mm-hmm. into? It's, it's we'll, we'll never know. Well, that's it. And the stepfather as well, who did try to take it more down the, the discipline route was reportedly physically aggressive to him on numerous occasions. And that's had, seemed to have had a, a, a hindered him rather than helped him in any way. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very messy one. Todd's mother, despite what we've just said, uh, later wrote to a judge to claim that the incident had brought her and her son closer together as the pair began to write to one another regularly from jail. She wrote, you know, it's strange. Maybe a little good does come from some bad. Regina went on to say that she was once a court reporter and had seen lots of cases, but quote, never have I seen this happen to a 15 year old child and not even any help offered. They don't sort of think that he even walked the girl home afterwards. Does that sound like a dangerous criminal? He even walked the girl home. So as Ben kind of mentioned earlier on, that she's looking at it from being that's a sweet thing to do. But yeah. when you put it in the context of he just raped her with a gun to her head, it's less sweet and he's not doing it because he's a gentleman. So yeah, I think yeah. she's very much taking a... Uh, Twisting that to uh, her own agenda there. Um, The adult probation officer wrote that Todd was, quote, the type of individual, one with little or no conscience, who presents the greatest risk to the community. Despite Todd's mother's best efforts, the judge went on to sentence Todd to 15 years without the possibility of parole. In a later court-ordered evaluation, Todd appeared to show deep emotional disturbance, but not psychosis. The evaluating psychiatrist wrote... Cole Hep displayed signs of ego inflation and extreme rebellion against authority as he generally feels he should be in control. 
And also, according to the court records, at around the same time, uh, he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and was noted as having an above-average IQ of 118. The judge in this case said that Todd was, quote, very bright and should be advanced academically, but he is behaviorally and emotionally dangerous and likely cannot be rehabilitated. Which, again, to say that to someone... I mean, I'm not sure how far into his sentence he was at this point. I'm assuming he said this maybe at sentencing. He's 15 and they're stating that he cannot be or likely cannot be rehabilitated, which is very damning. Yeah. Todd's probation officer wrote a similar description in court papers and added that Todd, quote, felt that the world owed him something. Todd's attorney in the case later went on to say that whilst defending him, quote, I do not believe my client will go on to harm others in the future. Um didn't get a name of this attorney at the t- at the first trial but mm. those words will definitely come back to bite him during his imprisonment todd was initially cited for violations that included some violent behavior however after turning 20 he had no other records of disobedience and again was very much considered the model inmate uh, well behaved and this would uh, unfortunately lead to his early release but we'll talk about that more shortly an Arizona judge wrote in 1987 that Todd was, quote, very bright, but also emotionally dangerous and preoccupied with sexual content. The memo, which had a Phoenix Hospital letterhead on it, states that as a juvenile, Todd regularly threatened suicide, destroyed his bedroom with a hammer, which is the, the, the bedroom at his father's property, and he also hit other children and killed a goldfish with bleach. A 1987 pre-sentencing report says that a neighbour, and this is whilst he was living with his father described Todd as a devil on a chain. However, his good behaviour in prison earned him an early release after serving 14 years of his original sentence. He was released in 2001, but as had been the case in his earlier life, he was not deterred nor rehabilitated from committing horrific criminal acts. After his release, he moved back to South Carolina, uh, where Todd seemingly tried to start a new life. And despite being registered as a sex offender, he was somehow able to get a real estate license on the 30th of June 2006. And basically, he was given an application form and he lied about, he did not disclose about the uh, serious criminal offences that he had and only listed some minor ones. Uh, and I think part of them were down to driving violations. And that's all he declared. Within a few years, Todd had been recognised as one of the top selling agents in the North and South Carolina regions, uh, which is the, the Carolinas. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, no problem. And from this, he went on to build up a firm of his own that very quickly took on over a dozen estate agents as employees. Todd was popular and well-liked amongst his friends and co-workers, also building up a successful property portfolio of his own, with nobody aware of his horrific criminal past. So it's almost like, so he's got out of prison, he's moved back to South Carolina, he's kind of left a lot of his more sinister actions the other side of the country and he's not disclosing any of his offenses which again for what is this 2006 mm. he's you'd figure that there'd be maybe a background check conducted or references yeah. i mean it depends how pe- how far people look <sighs> maybe that was earlier for for that particular job role working in real estate yeah it's probably not as thorough background check as you know you'd like to think a teacher would be or anyone working with children or or just even at the interview what have you been doing for the last 10 years yeah i'm sure he, he had a very elaborate story knowing todd in terms of what he was doing over that time mm-hmm. so uh, with the money generated from success in the estate agency todd had also acquired a private pilot license and several large remote properties out of state so um 
yes, similar to the Robert Hansen um, case we covered, you get similar vibes here in terms of the uh, pilot license and just the kind of vast land he's amassed here. In late May of 2014, he purchased an almost 100-acre plot of land located in an area nine miles away from the small community of Moore for just over $305,000. That's a big plot of land. That is, isn't it? For three hundred, that's as well. That seems very cheap to me. Um, uh, we've we've done acres before, and then we were both very far off what the, how big that actually equates to. But um, yeah, that's an interesting one. He then set a large steel fence, which cost an additional eighty thousand dollars around the perimeter of the property. Yeah, that's a that's a big old fence. Um, with his portfolio of properties, he would also build up weaponry as well as numerous military and survival equipment. Many items of which he would later become infamous for as the Amazon review killer. And I just thought, I just thought reviews, uh, in general, reviews they're, they're quite interesting. Notoriously not, but some of them are though. We wouldn't be here today without them in a way, talking about this case. Well, we might. Throw it. Ben Carter's Interesting Facts. Interesting Facts. Throw it. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, I hope everyone's doing great. I uh, hope uh, everyone's having a happy whichever day or night of the week it is in your world right now. Uh, last week, we discussed TripAdvisor reviews at length. This week, we are discussing Amazon reviews at length. Um, you couldn't make it up. So this week, I've decided to do what well, the team here at BC's IFs have decided to do something a little bit different. Uh, just gonna... They needed to. Sorry? They needed, they needed to. Did they? They thought, you know what? We've been acting with a bit of pressure on our backs for the last few weeks. Let's just, let's just do it without pressure and see what happens. And so that's oh, what we've, we've kind of come up with this week. Go back to our Don't roots. Don't lower your standards. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I'm going to do is something, as, as we said, a little bit different. I'm going to throw a few Amazon review facts your way before jumping into a family fortune style quiz on the worst reviewed products between 2022 and 2023. Uh, so producer Dan and Tom, you, if you'd like to battle it out, I'll um, basically whoever gets to uh, three items first uh, will will win the lot. Um, so Amazon reviews, obviously there have been millions left all around the world. Uh, but did you know, did you know of all these millions of reviews, a mere five to eight percent of people actually end up leaving them? Yeah, it's probably about right. Yeah, it is right. Yeah, it's a fact. But what's interesting about these different reviews is the the vast range in terms of different uh, products that are bestsellers or different products that are more niche, but they still collect very varied aggregated scores. Um, I then thought, oh, well, should I let's find out what the most popular product on Amazon is? And they literally have a bestsellers section, which changes daily. So I can't give you at the moment. It's a, it's a PlayStation 5. But that again, it's, it's, it's changing very, very quickly. Get into the game, mate. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, and typically, just so you know, typically, to, if you need to get yourself out of a bit of a wrangle down the pub or something with your friends, typically your bestsellers range from clothing and shoes to electronic devices. So the worst reviewed items of 2022, 2023. BCS, IFs. No, we're not on there yet. We're not on okay. there yet. We've got some good reviews coming in anyway. We've got some good reviews coming in. Um, and a credit uh, here to Vice and Frillist for putting this list together. Basically, um, I'm going to give you some clues because some of, the, some of these items are quite niche. Um, of them, actually, ironically, a book called One Star Reviews has ended up on there. Um, it's an Amazon-based book with, uh, which has gathered a load of one-star reviews, but I think some of them are in, in homage to the book itself. Uh, mm. It's quite nice. Um, so I'll give you some clues. Um, and if anyone sort of... Uh, I can give you a clue on one item itself and see who gets it first, or I can, um, you can, I can just let, leave you to it. 
That's your game, mate. You thought it out, so just let us know what you think. Give us a clue. Give us a clue. Give you a clue. Okay, right. So uh, this first one, it's a pillowcase, and it's a famous actor's face on it. Okay. And face is a Kira word. Knightley? No, that's quite that, good, though. It does work, doesn't it? And the I pillow guess man? Not the, it's not the pillow man. Um, <laughs> and I guess here's another clue. Once you put your face on it, you'd never want to take your face off it. Nicholas Cage. Travolta. Nicholas Cage. Well done, Dan. Yes. Face off. Nicholas Cage pillowcase, $14. Um, pillow cage. <laughs> fun fact, this enam... Which kind of works. Yeah. What was wrong with this? Uh, basically, it's just it's quite a pixelated image, I believe, and also not not, not people have gone, uh, not people have been too keen on it. However, one reviewer noted this inanimate pillowcase won more Oscars than The Wicker Man. It's a little spice at Nick there. They didn't they? No, neither of them won anything. Okay, right. Let's move on to the next one. Um, former American politician uh, has a uh, Christmas decoration that's red. Donald Trump bubble hat. Make America great and hat. Boom, there you go. Okay, Tom, did I leave it on the fucking dock? I'm not down there. Oh, okay, yeah, he is on the dock. It's the only thing on the dock, and he's got it. Uh, okay, well, that's one <laughs> one. God, I haven't scrolled down. <laughs> okay, we'll stay in the, we'll stay in the world of um, uh, uh, American politicians. Uh, American politician toilet paper. Barack Obama toilet paper? Yeah. It's two points to Tom. It's not what? even a good... That's not really that good. Mm. Um, okay, here we go. Insect uh, that you can buy alive uh, in a, in a large quantity, um, uh, uh, fifteen hundred of them, in fact, for eleven dollars. Ants, locusts, no, no. worms, maggots. I don't. No, no. I don't um, give it away, but flies. People usually, no, people are usually quite happy about these. Ladybirds, ladybirds or ladybugs. Yeah, um, fifteen hundred of them. Buying them to get rid of the uh, on their plants to kill other um, animals. Exactly. It's currently out of stock, but it's got loads of really bad reviews because they're supposed to arrive live and oh, damn, yeah. the container didn't have too many air pockets by the sound of it. Okay. Or, or a house. Yeah. My dad once um, ordered a queen bee online. Wow. Was, Beyonce turned up. That was good. The postman said, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. You can tell us like, what? Finally, a rapper that's released a cookbook and it has alliteration. Snoop Dogg Sausages. No, but I would... Snoop Hot Dogs. Snoop Hot Dogs. It's not Snoop, all right? Okay. (laughs) It's got alliteration. Um, Shall I say the first name? Dirty Old Bastard's Barbecue. No. Dirty Old Bastard Barbecue. No? No. Uh, The first word of the book is cooking. Just keep whispering cooking, that's going to help. Yeah. Cooking with Coolio. Um, And with chapters named such as Appetizers for That Arse, and salad-eating bitches, the whole thing uh, has gone on to receive several very, very bad one-star reviews. Have you seen um, the actor who plays Kevin in The Office has a chilli book? Didn't see that, but... It's got like a hundred different variations of chilli that you can make, and uh, they're very similar. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that he had, like, oven gloves, his own range of oven gloves. Yeah. Oven mitts. Okay, well done, guys. And, uh, yeah, if you always check your reviews. Um, Some of them will be sort of... Uh, what false like this guy but uh, yeah uh, for the full list I'll, I'll, I'll just drop me a message on Instagram I'll give you the full list there's some weird stuff on there coyote urine you can buy coyote piss online no thank you <laughs> 55 gallons of lube for almost a thousand dollars just in gallons apparently oh yeah okay okay <laughs> back to the episode Ben Carter's interesting facts interesting facts so thanks for that um, cheers <laughs> 
55 gallons of lube. I think that's going to be quoted a few times. Um, brilliant. What was the uh, review on the lube, by the way? Slippery. Let me just get it for you. I literally, a whole body fell inside them. 50, oh my God, it comes in one of those like blue Breaking Bad vats, drums. Um, so it's from Passion Lubes Direct. Uh, yeah, Bookmark. it's uh, nine. <laughs> uh, oh my God, this lube ruined my life. Be warned, this seller will not accept return of opened and partially used barrels, no matter how dire the situation. I totally did not intend to buy the lube. It was a Freudian slip meets buy now button. It's a long story, but my therapist had suggested that instead of acting upon my uncontrollable urge to masturbate in front of farm animals, I should instead desensitise myself to the items from which such urges arise in a controlled environment. Yeah, I know. I didn't think it would work either. But what did I have to lose except from another indecent exposure arrest? So there I was, trolling Amazon, my safe controlled environment. I don't quite remember what happened. One minute I was looking at horse masks and feed bags, and the next I was standing in Juan Alvarez cow pasture with my pants around my ankles, in brackets, again. I must have blacked out or something. This, this does go on for ages. This feels like it's a lie as well. Basically, this person ended up spending $2,000 for a 55-gallon barrel of lube, and they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't take it back. I think if you, open the ga- if you open the lube and use it, I think you can return it. I think that's fair. No, just buy it in smaller portions if you want to use it once. And that's a Ben Carter guarantee. Anyway, back to the case. A customer once sold her home privately to Todd, remembered him as being extremely outgoing and professional. But she did mention that he would often talk about his firearms and sometimes subtly use sexual innuendos with her during their conversations, Mm. which as a married woman, she found extremely uncomfortable. As well as this, a woman who listed a house with one of Todd's employees described him as angry and condescending towards her partner. And bizarrely, a banker who once worked with Todd claimed that she was aware that he often watched pornographic videos, even when he was at work. Mm. Working and jerking. Um, when he wasn't um, working or flying or wanking at his desk, Todd frequented a local Waffle House um, restaurant in Roebuck, where his lewd behaviour disturbed all of the waitresses that worked there to the point where the male cook began to take Todd's orders instead of them, which, you know, you imagine him being very just crude. Surely you'd pick up on that. By the time the chef's coming out to take your order mm. and there's five or six waitresses just staring at you from a corner. I'm not talking from experience. No. But don't go back there, Todd. Yeah, especially with your stop being crude and rude. Fifty gallons. Yeah, according to uh, this employee, one of the waitresses was Megan Lee McCraw Coxie, a lady who we will discuss in more detail in our timeline. Uh, So, from the outside looking in, he seemed to have turned his life around. Apart from being a bit creepy, well, and creepy with girls and wanking at work, he wasn't doing the other things he used to do, leading a seemingly normal existence. However, things lurking beneath the surface were far from what they appeared to be. And it is here that we move to the timeline of the Amazon Review Killer. So a quick recap, because obviously so much has occurred during his childhood and early adolescence. Uh, There were several clear issues raised, obviously from his childhood. Uh, We've talked about the physical aggression, the cruelty to animals, sexual offences, perhaps his sense of abandonment, um, alleged suicidal tendencies, broken family dynamic. And as a result, Todd spent three and a half years of his childhood in a secure psychiatric hospital, a decision obviously that was made by his parents. And he spent over 14 years in prison for committing a kill 
kidnap and rape at the age of 15. So by the age of 30, Todd had spent 17 and a half years of his life locked away from the general public, with a judge as well as a probation officer both stating that they do not feel he can be rehabilitated. I mean, if I'm right, that's about 58% of his life in the system. 15, 8. For the percentage folks out there, that's just oh, over 58%. Fucking... For the percentage folks out there, that's just over 58% of his uh, life in the system. I don't like just over 58%, because if I'm a percentage folk, I want to be bang on. It's like pi, 58.333, oh, not that 58 pi. Word. Yeah. Um, so yeah, quite quite a large percentage of his life in the system. And before uh, moving to the timeline, we did obviously talk about Todd setting up his own real estate business. However, we need to now jump back a few years to show exactly how he was able to do this, but also to show how he was able to continue to escalate his crimes almost immediately after being released. So we're starting in the August of 2001. After spending almost 15 years behind bars, Todd is released from prison, aged 30. During his stay in prison, he behaved like the model inmate. He was even able to graduate from the Central Arizona College with a bachelor's degree in computer science. Perhaps surprisingly, Todd was never visited by either his biological father, mother or stepfather during his time in prison. So that's, yeah, almost 15 years and none of them came to see him. I know he did write a lot to his mother. Um, but yeah, they, I, I feel, again, they've kind of washed their hands of him very, very early on and continued to do so later in life. Once released, he decides to relocate from Tempe, Arizona to Spartanburg, South Carolina. Maybe it's Spartanburg? This is Spartanburg! January 2002, now a free man, Todd decides to learn how to drive and earns his driver's license. He then became a graphic designer for Seven Sons and Company in Spartanburg. What, Dan? Spartanburg. Spartanburg! He then became a... He, he then became a... He, he. <laughs> what do you know? Dan's done Ben! <laughs> Come back next time for another Dan Does Ben! <laughs> He then became a graphic designer for Seven Sons and Company in Spartanburg. This was a sports clothing company. He manages to fabricate his CV and lies extensively about his employment history. So yeah, we did wonder earlier how many lies he would have told on that CV and I reckon probably about 17 and a half years worth of lies in, in, in my estimate. He continued to work there for just over a year and a half until November of 2003. 6th of November 2003, Scott Ponder, Beverly Guy, Brian Lucas and Chris Sherbert are shot dead at 2pm at the Superbike Motorsport Shop. This motorbike shop was located in Chesney and was a popular place for motorbike enthusiasts. Um, so this was a family-run business and sadly it would see a son, mother and close friends dying within seconds of one another. So Scott Ponder left for work on the 6th of November before his wife had even woken up. Melissa Ponder was seven weeks pregnant at the time of her husband's murder and sadly she spoke to her husband for the final time on the phone shortly before his death. His last words to her were Okay, I'll see you later. I love you. Bye. Scott and Melissa had just been to an ultrasound scan to see their unborn child two days before Scott's murder. So Beverly Guy, who was also murdered on this day, her husband, um, Terry Guy, would go on to say, You wake up one morning, kiss your wife good morning, tell her how you love her, and go to work. And you just take it for granted you're going to see her that afternoon. From the beginning of the investigation, a witness had commented that they had seen a large man at the Superbike Motorsport shop prior to the murders. This was not a robbery. Nothing was taken. A police sketch was drawn and shown to Melissa Ponder, who would later become a suspect in the case. The police sketch showed a man with hair parted covering part of his forehead. It looks like the man has stubble around his top lip. It also appears as though the man was wearing what could be described as a polo neck shirt with a t-shirt underneath. Three days after the murder of her husband, Melissa was taken for questioning by the police. 
They suspected she had killed her husband, mother-in-law, and two of her friends. Imagine that, being That's horrible, accused of that. Melissa was polygraphed and asked by the police questions such as, did you kill your husband, Scott Ponder? And did you plan the murder of your husband, Scott Ponder? So at this point, she's obviously pregnant and being accused of essentially a mass murder, which is, yeah, a horrific situation to be in. Seven months after Scott's murder, Scotty was born, and Melissa commented, that birth overshadowed any type of sadness that I'd felt through this. I got to hold a piece of him again. I had his flesh and blood with me. Shortly after the birth of her son, Melissa was taken in for questioning once again, which... Uh, obviously, this so this case would um, this particular murder would go unsolved for for a very long time. So you can understand why they you know have to be very thorough and you know with a lot of the statistics in terms of people more likely to murder it. They know the victims, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's not too crazy, but it's just a very sad circumstance when you know when when we know with hindsight that she wasn't anything to do with it. So this Superbike Motorsports shop, it was kind of isolated in the middle of nowhere. It it wasn't a thriving business by any means, but it did have um, regular customers that would hang out there. And obviously, as Tom mentioned, it was a family-run business, so it wouldn't be unusual for the entire, uh, the entire family and their friends to be there and hang around in the shop. And this is why I think as well, due to like the lack of additional witnesses or a lack of people being in that area at the time, it was able to go unsolved for so long. And, um, yeah, they had, they had Melissa as their prime suspect for so long, this, this, uh, early stage pregnant lady, and they had no one else to go off really, apart from potentially, um, this composite sketch that was drawn up, which again, doesn't look at all like who actually the criminal would end up being. I think, yeah, to really hard at Ben's point there as well, um, we'll get, get into it with Noel Lee, who actually went on to find the bodies. I mean, you know, multiple shots were fired, um, and, you know, the bodies were left there for quite a while so it's it, no one had heard the shots and come across to it just to show how out of the way they all were as well so following this line of investigation the police retrieved a nappy from the uh, melissa's newborn baby scotty and dna tested it so these test results from the from the nappy essentially to the blood to the blood test because it was the wrong blood taken from the victim would go on to kind of highlight they think that this affair happened uh, melissa vehemently denied that this could not be true she said she told the police i'm going to get my baby you will swab his mouth in front of me i will watch you put it in that envelope the second testing was conducted but to her surprise again the results showed that scott was not the father shortly after this altercation happened melissa was told the police had swapped the vials of blood that had been used within the testing it had been mislabeled and melissa was finally cleared however melissa admitted i cannot tell you the things that have been said about me i know that scott's grandmother who i thought i was close to died believing that that was not her own grandson. Yeah, that's horrific, isn't it? That's not a small error by any means. That's significant. And for them, them, that's first of all, part of the reason why they honed in on her, first of all, as a prime suspect. But then secondly, it's almost turned the surviving families well, and, and the victims against her. Yeah. So that's that's horrific. Noel Lee, a close friend of Scott Ponder and Brian Lucas, also was scrutinised by the police. Noel had found the bodies and called 911, where he told them, Apparently, everyone's been shot up here. Everybody's laying down in a pool of blood. His mum has been shot. The mechanic's been shot whilst in a state of shock. He then told reporters that he was fingerprinted and left with the label of the murderer responsible until it was later found to have been the crimes committed by Todd Colehep, who was proven to be the gunman years later. It was revealed that Todd shot the four people within the shop after they apparently, or again, this is, this is according to Todd, uh, apparently they laughed at him and mocked him 
when he tried to return a bike that he had damaged. Um, so they refused to give him a refund and they mocked him for not knowing how to ride a motorbike. Obviously, unbeknownst to them, he'd spent however many years in prison and had only recently got his, his driver's license. But basically, the story is he had very badly messed up this motorbike and tried to return it because he blamed it on the shop selling a sort of a faulty bike when it was actually him and allegedly one of them even said oh which bike are you going to mess up next or something like that they made sort of like a, a passive aggressive comment towards him which he did not like yeah, the motorbike apparently he got was uh, one that even it was for a very skilled person it was a very quick bike it was very hard you had to be very delicate with it and anyone with no experience with motorbikes which he didn't really have it would have been very hard for him to manage but they didn't really he was like oh, i want to get that bike so him trying to ride it as an amateur wasn't a good idea and him kind of obviously getting the, the scuffs and nicks on it like as you would get he tried to return it like ben said and they weren't hand, weren't having any of it but um so i think his pride was very much hit with that as well might be wrong as well but in the, i know this will probably be different in america but in the uk don't you have to start off with like a little moped and learn on that and then you go up in the engine sizes that you're able to drive based yeah, on experience your dad's got some motorbike experience, hasn't he? He has, yeah, but I'm sure... I mean, this is going back years and years and years, but I'm sure you have to do, like, a basic... To get a basic... It's like driving... Again, I could be wrong with this, but, like, driving certain freight carriers. You have to start on the smaller ones and work your way up to different sizes, right? You can't just jump in at the deep end. I think you're right, but you. I think you can also get courses. Like, you can do, like, a oh, week okay. course, and it gets Intensive. you right to the top really quickly at the top well yeah well he yeah it, i mean it's no surprise that uh todd colehep wanted to jump in at the deep end and have the the fastest nifty i'm, I'm going to use the word niftiest bike uh, in the in the shop and yeah apparently he came back to try and return it after he'd obviously scuffed the bike up pretty badly they started laughing so he then decides okay well if you're going to laugh at me have some of this and he and he pulls a gun out which is just a a, a ridiculous reaction and that's yeah. if that even is the true story yeah because apparently he was he was waiting around the bikes looking at bikes waiting for people to leave it was a grandfather and the grandson that left and um he was the last customers in there before with, before with him and once they left he said i want this bike they went out to kind of go sort it out and then he he started opening fire it's particularly he was after he, he wasn't after beverly he she kind of was a collateral damage sadly um he he thought you know i can't leave another uh, witness here so he shot her immediately as well um but yeah not trying to do a pun in terms of motorbikes but not to 100 quite quickly in terms yeah. of the shooting so th that's the tricky thing from this i mean you're inclined to believe his line of events or at least that some sort of argument occurred because there was no he didn't he didn't burgle the, the shop he didn't take any other bikes uh, it was just literally four people killed and then he left so yeah from this it's a really bizarre one it's it's seeming seemingly a completely random spree killing here um and there's no financial motive. There's no motive in terms of he knew these people. He's just literally, according to him, been been laughed at and mocked, uh, refused to give a refund. So he's taken four lives. In March of 2006, so three years later, Todd earns a private pilot's license from the Federal Aviation Administration. In a letter written in November of 2017, Todd alleged that this license had a hand in his criminal activities. He wrote, I tried to tell investigators and I did tell the FBI, but it was blown off. It's not an addition problem, it's a multiplication problem. Leaves the state, leaves the country. 
Thank you, Private Pilot's Licence. What Todd is referring to here is an eight-page letter that he would later write to the Spartanburg Herald Journey whilst in prison, claiming that he had tried to tell the police and FBI that there were more victims that had not been accounted for, which again we're going to go into a lot more detail shortly about. Colehep wrote that he tried to tell investigators and actually had informed the FBI, but it was, quote, blown off. He then went on to make the infamous claim, at this point I really don't see a reason to give numbers or locations. A few months later, Todd decides to take the South Carolina real estate exam. Whilst completing his exam, he conveniently does not admit his placement on the South Carolina Sex Offenders Registry. He then decides to open TKA Real Estate. Todd Colehep and Associates, maybe? Todd Colehep? Uh, agency. Oh, yeah. He starts his business from the comfort of his own home. His first house was in Moore, South Carolina, and on the 30th of June 2006, Todd finally received his real estate license. 2008, Todd earns himself more qualifications as he graduates from the University of South Carolina Upstate with a degree in Business Administration Marketing. Although it would appear as though he was a thriving businessman, Todd was being labelled as creepy by the servers at a local Waffle House. As we mentioned earlier, the Waffle House was located in Roebuck, South Carolina, and co-workers at the restaurant would refuse to serve him. He was known to leave large tips after his meals and would ask certain employees to visit him at his home. As in, come back home with me. If you see me eat that cow pie, come back home with me, eh? Yeah. Yeah, that's not, it's not worth the tip, is it? No, not really. As a result of this behaviour, a male cook had be- began to take the orders from um, Todd, making the servers feel slightly more at ease. Megan Coxey was a 26-year-old waitress who worked at this particular Waffle House. Megan and her husband would later be found dead at the hands of Todd Colehep. One of her colleagues commented, I know for a fact he didn't just pick her up off the street. He met her there. So that, so yeah, the colleague is implying that he had already had communications with Megan and they were arranging some kind of meet-up meet up there. In May of 2014, Todd purchases a second home, and this is the large piece of land near Woodruff um, that we talked about earlier that then he basically... Uh, pays an additional $80,000 to uh, surround it by a metal chain fence. His business was successful and Todd was starting to make a name for himself, hence his ability to quickly buy a second property. After purchasing the land, Todd decided to add a chain link fence to this estate, which in hindsight, uh, some people believe should have raised questions, but he was known to keep a number of, of large dogs and um, and you know he could have easily said let's to keep the dogs in, in on the property on the land so so yeah this this 100 almost 100 acres that he's purchased and now surrounded by chain link fence has got a large double garage on it there's a bit of a kind of a wooded area as well um and then all of a sudden uh, a couple of shipping containers appear on the property but more on that shortly. In December of 2015, Megan Coxie and her husband Johnny Coxie disappear. As previously mentioned, Megan worked at the Waffle House that Todd was so well known to frequent. Megan and Johnny lived with their child in Spartanburg. Megan and Johnny did have a history with the law and had only recently been released from prison a few weeks before their disappearance. So, yeah, the reason why they kind of had a, a slight reputation with local police is that they were known uh, drug users and Megan was uh, very well known to have been a heroin user. She had actually been charged with child neglect after her baby tested positive for heroin, which is just 
yeah, absolutely horrific. Megan had admitted to abusing the drug during the first six months of her pregnancy. She then admitted that she had relapsed and started using the drug again. As a result, the couple's child was placed under the supervision and care of others. Megan's mother said that she had last heard from her daughter after she bailed her out of prison. It was her mother who would eventually go on to report her daughter as missing. The 31st of August 2016, Charlie Carver and his girlfriend Kayla Brown would disappear. So Charlie Carver was 32 at the time of his disappearance and Kayla was 30 at the time of hers. The couple had just moved together that summer after dating for a short while. Charlie was in the middle of divorce proceedings with his ex-wife at the time of his disappearance. So Kayla had come across Todd previously and he was the kind of guy that had lots of things going on, obviously talked a big game and they needed employment and they're looking for employment. So um, they thought, why not speak to Todd and try and find if there's anything we can do for some money? And Todd was like, yeah, definitely. He wanted to hire them to clear some underbrush at his property in South Carolina. So the pair have driven there and Kayla had previously done work at the property. So she thought that this would be like any of the other times. She later commented, We had walked inside and got hedge clippers and walked back outside. When Todd came back out, he had a gun in his hand. He fired three shots into Charlie's chest. Charlie's mother, Claudia Joanne Shiffert, said she last heard from her son on the 29th of August after he replied to her with a one-word answer via text message. They reportedly spoke every day. On the 3rd of September 2016, Charlie's mother files a missing persons report. She had not been able to contact either her son or his girlfriend, and after a search of their apartment, it did not look like they were staying there. Charlie's mother was not the only person to file a missing persons report. Leah Miller, a friend of Kayla Brown, also filed a report on the 5th of September after she had not been able to contact her friend. Leah had had last communication from Kayla on the 31st of August when she texted her friend, Are you awake? at 6.06am. Leah did reply to the message eventually, but this was hours after she had received it. After silence from her friend, Leah contacted the police. She told them that Kayla's car was parked outside of her apartment complex. Police gained entry into Kayla's apartment and found that Kayla's dog, Romeo, had been left inside for days without food or water. That dog is her baby, she'd never leave him like that, said Bonnie Newsom, who was Kayla's mother. So this part we're going to go on to now really is a big insight into how Todd's mind worked and how he liked to kind of play with people and essentially it's kind of like trolling. Yes. It's probably the most... Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's probably the biggest troll I think we we've, we've, we've might have covered in terms of... I mean, I know we've had people before trolling the police with uh, teasing them and bits and bobs like BTK Killer being very cocky with like his serial killer, serial boxes and things like that. But this is... Um, Zodiac troll. Yeah, no bloody troll. But this is September to October 2016. Social media was used to try and find the couple. Physical copies of the flyers were also handed out and placed around Anderson. Facebook groups were set up to spread the message about the missing people. After weeks of no communication, Charlie's Facebook is updated with posts stating that he and Kayla had got married, had bought a house, respecting a child together, and were okay. However, the families knew this was strange and did not think this was actually Charlie or Kayla posting. The photos which claimed to be new were found to have been taken over a year ago, but the language used to post did not sound like Charlie. The account posted a photo of the couple from two years ago with the caption, We're fine! But it was later deleted by whoever was using the account. All of a sudden, after a few days of silence, Charlie's Facebook posted a graphic of an apparently disturbed man holding his hands on his head, accompanied by the words, If I weren't crazy, I'd be insane. Yeah, it's uh, it's like, it looks like something that you might find on DeviantArt. It's a really yeah. unsettled Matt gentleman. An unsettled mm. gentleman running his hands through his hair with bulging eyes. And yeah, if I weren't crazy, I'd be insane. You don't have to be mad to work here. 
but it, but helps. it helps. Yeah. And we're yeah. just, yeah, lifeguards. I, I wouldn't want a mad lifeguard. No, Dan was a mad lifeguard. No, he wanted madness as a lifeguard. Yeah, he wanted chaos. <laughs> um, Charlie's Facebook also shared an image on the 2nd of October 2016, posting the last few lyrics of the Eagles Hotel California. Dan, could you uh, read these lovely lyrics for us? I'll sing it for you if you want. Oh, go on. No, fuck that. Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the night man. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. So those, like, particularly those last two lines are very eerie in this case. But once when we go into what happened to Kayla, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Mm. So Charlie's account also shared various memes, including two particularly unsettling ones. One that had the text, What colour ribbon supports the cure for people who can't keep their nose out of other people's business? Which, uh... <laughs> Is um, you do have certain people on your Facebook who share those kind of things. You go, why? Are you, yeah. Why are you sharing that? No one cares about your business, mate. And one said that sometimes late at night, I dig a hole in the backyard to keep the nosy neighbours guessing. Yeah, that's a bit more obscure than the the ribbon one. Well, like I said, yeah. I said earlier on the case, dad. This is like dad banter, the dad yeah. banter killer. And it was like those kind of posts. It's well, just, that ribbon one, yeah, was sort of strikes me as like Facebook mums. Yeah. Uh, what colour ribbon supports the cure for people who can't keep their nose out of other people's business? But they're the kind of people that go, had a really awful day today. <laughs> and people are like, oh, what's up? He's like, oh, DM me. Or they He's check like, in whilst at hospital. That yeah. gets me. That <laughs> yeah. does get me. Sorry yeah. to people that have done it, but that just, don't come on. I mean, not similar, but um, Sandy, uh, um, my little dog, was uh, used for some pictures for Wood Green for some marketing. And <laughs> I shared it. Go, someone's like, she had wood green. I was like, oh no, oh. Yeah, I can see why. But why would I be sharing pictures of her? Like, oh, I've given my dog to wood green. Here you go. <laughs> Very odd. So two friends commented on this particular post with Brecky Hickman asking, are you hinting at what you did to them? You know, it's sad that someone like you is using his Facebook page when his family and friends are worried about both him and Kayla. So uh, by the way, that uh, that's, I'm reading it as it's written. It's not me just reading terribly. And Sarah Smith asking, is that what you did to Kayla and the real Charlie? Um, which, yeah, I mean, to be fair, they've clocked it. Yeah, I mean, at this point, what what is it? So they, they have been missing now, well, at the beginning of September or the end of August. Last day of August, they went missing. So they've been missing for a couple of weeks at the point now that these um, Facebook posts start to appear mm. and people are immediately assuming that whoever is making these posts because they are so, so... Uh, uh, drastically different to what Charlie would typically uh, post. Um, they clocked it straight away, and yeah, it's it's this is horrific because this, as Tom said, he does start trolling a little bit here. Whoever it is that's using this account. So the user responded to lots of the comments almost immediately. Yeah, there was literally minutes be- between some of these, seemingly not giving any serious thought to the replies. To make things even more horrific for the friends and family of Kayla and Charlie, whoever was using Charlie's account began to like and share missing posters of the couple, pages and groups set up to support their safe return. The user of the account also shared a fundraiser for the missing couple. Yeah, that's that's horrific. So that's what I mean by trolling. He's really like, you know, he's really enjoying this power. Um, I'm surprised at this stage, 2016, you know, using IP addresses. And exactly, things. yeah. I'm sure someone with a half... You know, the police force, they have people who can use, see where posts are posted from. D- yeah, de- you're absolutely right. Yeah, this is like modern day. I know we just referenced him, but modern day BTK. Um, mm. it, yeah. yeah. And he's so quick as well. He's not like sat there stalling for hours to form some form of reply. He's immediately commenting straight back. 
So you can imagine him getting some real enjoyment from this. Yeah. On the 15th of September 2016, after Charlie and Kayla had been missing for two weeks, Todd Colehep began posting status updates on his Todd Colehep Real Estate Facebook page regarding the missing persons. He posted the following, and it's also notable what we saw straight away with this is that Todd's grammatical errors on his own personal account match perfectly to the errors made in Charlie's or whoever was using Charlie's account's posts. So there was lots of similar sort of uh, misuse of punctuation and, yeah, kind of similar grammatical mistakes. So uh, Todd posted the following. Reading the news. This person missing, that person missing, another person missing. Oh wait, that person just went to a beach with a friend. Other person found with her parole violation boyfriend. In the event that I become missing, please note that no one would take me. I eat too much and I'm crabby. I know how you feel, mate. Clip that, clip that. (laughs) (laughs) They would just bring me back or give me 20 bucks for a cab ride. Most likely if I'm missing is because my dumb ass did something on that tractor again and I'm too stubborn to go to the doctor. I got nine lives. I ain't done yet. He also posts several statuses relating to the youth of America and how they need to be disciplined in a similar way to how he was by his father, stepfather, mother and grandparents. He blames... uh, So this was kind of very... Uh, relevant at the time, kind of countrywide news in America of various acts of looting and criminal activity uh, and rising of crime rates in his local area. Uh, He blames that all on children not being brought up right. And a few days later, he then posts the following. Just admit it. You look at the news, you see the political crap and the school shootings and just general what the hell is going on. Zombie apocalypse is starting to look better and better every day. Not that I want to li- align myself with a serial killer. Uh, I would actually quite like a zombie apocalypse. I was literally thinking, <laughs> it's the kind of thing, not that you'd post about the political crap and stuff, but... Um, I'd, I'd prefer the zombie apocalypse to what what the other option is that he suggests. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We need Ebola to come as a huge snowstorm, wipe out half the population, then melt away. Just tired of entitlement, rude-ass people for no reason. People who race to cut in front of you, to slam on the brakes, to make a right turn. I mean, that's, you can feel he's kind of going like, not non-specific there, just being to the human race in general. And then it just sounds like someone cut him off whilst driving and he's really pissed off, so he's posting the status. Which I, I imagine, Dan, you get, do you get a little bit road ragey? Uh, I used to, yeah. I've, I've kind of cut back on the old rage. Mm. It's not worth it. You never know what's going on in the other car, do you? I was always told to be very careful when I used to live in Leeds of um, getting in road rage with uh, taxi, drivers. taxi drivers up there which I've just, I, I never did because the, yeah, the, the different rumours I heard, I just, yeah, kept quiet, kept in my lane and got home safe. Well, that's one thing. Ben, keeping your lane is always good advice when you drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the best. But yeah, I mean, I can, I can sympathise with him for the people that do cut in front of you and then slam the brakes on because that's not, that's not very nice, but I, I don't really relate to him on anything else. But Dan wants a zombie apocalypse. Oh, I'd love it so much. Yeah. I'd thrive in that. What if they're fast? They run. They can't. They don't do like the twenty-eight days later zombies. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But it's kind of a cool environment to die in, isn't it? So get your brains eaten. Yeah, I guess it's fun. <laughs> and we're all insured. Yeah, that's true. Fantastic. Right. Thanks, Dead Happy. So he's still making all of these different bizarre rants about society whilst also technically being a, a, well, yeah, he is. He's technically at this point a serial killer and has a kidnapped young lady captive on his property uh, for over a fortnight at this point. And he's taken a Facebook to rant. I'm still thinking there, Ben, from your authority there for Dan's death wish. 
Can I just get a group of people to gather around my body and rip me into shreds? <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> Can't you do um, zombie experiences? That, isn't there a thing? Yeah, I've done one. Did one last oh. last year. There's Hitchbrook House do an uh, experience a haunted thing. That's Ooh. not too far away. Um, it's a place in America, Ben, which would be funny to do a little review thing on. That, um, oh, is this that bloody one that's had loads of people threaten legal action? The, yeah, you oh. pay to basically terrorise. I watched you? a Vice documentary on that, yeah. Oh. You get waterboarded and stuff, don't yeah. you? Oh, shit. You're basically paying to get kind of like tortured. Something manner, something manner. Mm. It's horrific. Quite like that. You would not like that. <laughs> you have to sign like a 20-page waiver, Dan, before you even... Um, McKamey Manor. There's a whole Wikipedia page on it. Um, we'll, do, we'll do something on that sometime. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, the It offers a prize of $20,000 for completing it. Um, I don't think anyone's completed it as of I yet. I would love to do a vlog, Dan. Go to America with you and you're going to win that prize. Can you actually win 20 grand? A volunteer guide testified that the 40-page waiver signed by participants lists possible risks, which include having teeth extracted, being tattooed, and having fingernails removed. Do you fancy it? Mm. 20 grand, though. <laughs> Fingernail grows back. Tattoo removal. Uh, the teeth thing put me off. Mm. You spent quite a bit on your gnashes already, haven't you? So I have, it. yeah. I imagine, yeah, the closer you get to completion, the more they're like yeah. trying to put... It becomes defending a 20 grand payout. So we're going to do put you in an ankle lock. It costs 21 grand to do it as well. So, <laughs> so anyway, at this point, if you hadn't guessed, it's, it's Cole Hep that is posting all these bizarre statuses and sharing all these bizarre memes on Charlie's account, responding to comments on there, sharing missing persons reports on there. At the same time, he's kind of making all these different statements about uh, modern day society on his Todd Cole Hep uh, real estate page on Facebook. Uh, at this point, he's making all these different bizarre rants about society whilst also technically being a serial killer and having kidnapped a young lady, keeping her captive for over a fortnight at this point. So he's living several different lives and identities as of right now. And the investigation continues. So as it does continue, it was later revealed that Charlie and Kayla had been hired by Cole Hep to do some landscaping work in a wooded area of one of his properties, which as Tom mentioned, he'd mentioned to them that, that he had some underbrush that he wanted to be cleared out from this particular forested area. So they were brought to this kind of isolated piece of land by Cole Hep, who then locked the gate behind them as they entered the property. The police collected this information via Kayla's Facebook messages, which they had obtained a search warrant in order to gain access to. So from looking into her Facebook messages, they could see clearly that um, Todd had hired her and her partner to come and work for him. Uh, they then decided to look into phone records and found that the couple's phones had last pinged to cell phone towers near Todd Colheb's house, but they were unable to locate where the phones were used specifically. So when they say Todd Colheb's house, this is not the piece of land that they were taken to. This is actually his residential property that he was living out of uh, in South Carolina. The police became interested in Colehep after they received a tip-off about a sex crime. The police then obtained a search warrant for Colehep's house. And again, this search warrant they've got is kind of, they, they are going to his residential property, but they're also going to his more isolated 100-acre um, countryside property as well. So there's two separate police teams going to different locations at this point. So the 3rd of November 2016 at 8am, at the exact same time that detectives were issuing the search warrant at Cole Hep's address, Kayla was finally found by the police. She was found chained like a dog, according to authorities. When police initially heard banging come from inside a shipping container, they presumed the noise was coming from the nearby woods. But then they heard, help me, get me out of here. They knew that someone was inside the container. 
arrived in police and informed Todd that they were at his property because the mobile phones of Charlie and Kayla had last pinged at his house. When they told Todd this, he asks, Are you looking for the missing girl? Making no mention of Charlie, who is technically also missing at this point. So yeah, at this time, we got the police at um, Colhep's house talking to him directly, but also other police were deployed looking through the land and they find the shipping container. So there's two two searches going on at the same time. So the, the police that have arrived, there's, there's very infamous body cam footage of both different teams, the the one that find her in the, the container and the ones that are initially speaking to Colhep at his home. And they initially arrived there with a search warrant saying that they want to search the property to see if they can find the phones belonging to Kayla and Charlie. But as this is happening, obviously a search is ongoing at the other location and then there is a very uh, pivotal moment when one lo- one team of police inform the other team that we have found her on his property, arrest him now. Uh, so we'll, we'll play that clip for you now. Do you want to help yourself and tell me where the body's at so we can go recover Charlie's body? No, sir. You don't want to? No, sir. Okay. Why'd you shoot him? I didn't shoot anybody, sir. Okay, why'd you lock her in a container in your property? I was talking. She's on your property right now, locked in a container. They just got her out of a, like a, um, they called it a shipping conics box. She was locked in a container in a conics box. They got her. We are, we have investigators. We have like 20 investigators on your property right now. And they have found her in the conics box. So she never left your property. Okay, you locked her in the connect box, and she has told investigators that you shot and killed Charlie. Okay, so I'm trying to give you an opportunity to help yourself and help us, help you find this body. Because Charlie, she's saying Charlie's body, you buried Charlie's body on that property. So you're saying you didn't lock her up, you didn't put her in the connect box or anything? I'm money to attorney. Um, probably a good thing. Go ahead and put him in the back of your car. Sir. So Kayla had been placed in handcuffs by Todd, led out and then locked within the shipping container for two months before she was found. She was chained by the neck, ankles and hands. She spent all hours of the day in the container, with the exception of 1pm to 3pm and 5pm to 7pm during which hours Todd would retrieve her from the container, take her to the garage on the property and force her to perform sexual acts in return for food and the opportunity to use the bathroom. That's disgusting. She would be visited by Todd twice a day over the course of two months, sexually assaulting her on almost a hundred separate occasions. Police found weaponry on the property and it is believed if they had not found her, then hours later she would have also been killed as they found a pre-dug grave for her next to Charlie. Kayla slept on two thin dog beds, she was given a DVD player by Todd, she ate crackers and peanut butter once a day, she was also given books to read. When she was found, she had chains around her neck and ankles to prevent her from escaping. So when Kayla was released, uh, it's, it's quite staggering to see, she's very calm. Yeah. Well, she obviously seems not, not completely with it, but she's able to describe in detail exactly what happened, and we're going to play the audio for you now. Do you know where your buddy is? Charlie? Yes. He's he shot him? Who did? Douche. Todd Colehep shot Charlie Carver three times in the chest, wrapped him in a blue tarp, put him in the bucket of the tractor, locked me down here, and I never seen him again. Okay. He says he's dead and buried. He says there's several bodies dead and buried out here, and he okay. says that the dogs will be ruined if they go looking because there's red pepper. 
So yeah, that that's the thing. There's some very infamous body cam footage, both of Todd being arrested and them finding her in this uh, shipping container. And yeah, his his he's very in the footage of them sort of chatting to him, saying, "Can we search your property?" He lets them into the house, and he's very friendly and and, and uh, welcoming to them. And you can see how he's using his kind of uh, ability to charm and 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 warm people up a bit. He's very friendly. He's laughing and joking with them. He's got two big dogs that are kind of very scared by the police's pre- presence. And there's one very weird point that I noted from that arrest when he's like, he begins to sort of get a little bit nervous. And he's like, he hears one of the um, one of the police officers say to the dogs, "Oh, we don't want to, we don't want to scare you. We don't want to scare you." And then he mimics almost like a goofy voice saying, "You're scaring my dad. What about the human?" He may he he's um. Yeah, he does a dog. He does, he basically does his dog's voice, saying, "You're scaring my dad. You're scaring this." And it's uh, it's a really weird moment because I was cap- captivated by captivated by the footage, but then for him to go, "What about my dad?" was just yeah, really really weird. And they all laugh at him doing it, and then all of a sudden they find Kayla, and things change very quickly. So they had not been able to find Charlie alive on the property, but a sniffer dog had alerted authorities to his car, which was discovered in a ravine covered in brush. The car had been spray-painted brown. Todd was arrested by the police while he was at the property, but he denied knowing anything as to why they would be arresting him. He asked for an attorney immediately upon being informed that the police had located Kayla locked away in a shipping container on his property. Kayla alerted the police to the other murders. She told authorities that one day Todd took her outside and showed her patches of the property that looked like graves. He then proceeded to tell her, Kayla, if you try to escape, you're going directly into one of those graves. Kayla also told police how Todd liked to brag about his murders, claiming himself to be a serial killer. Kayla told police he had dreams of his body count being in three digits. He told Kayla about the other murders that he had not been connected to, such as the superbike motorsport shop murders and the murders of Megan Coxie and her husband Johnny Coxie. Upon discovering these bodies, it was later determined that Todd Colehep had lured his victims in just like he had done with Kayla Brown and Charlie Carver. He asked them to do some work on his property. He then killed Johnny and proceeded to keep Megan alive for a week where he would rape her during that time. He then killed her before burying both of his victims' bodies on his property. So, yeah, so some people have questioned why he was quite quick in comparison to kill Megan uh, whereas he'd actually kept Kayla alive for quite a period of time uh, well obviously two months uh, as a minimum. Todd had also hoped or claimed to have hoped that Kayla would develop Stockholm Syndrome. According to Encyclopedia Britannica Stockholm Syndrome is a psychological response wherein a captive begins to identify closely with his or her captors as well as their agenda and demands which we, we definitely saw in the case of Colleen Stan. Um, and some potentially you could argue with the Ariel Castro case as well, um, Fritzl. But it's yeah, this is this is horrific that he would. He, the reason he kept Kayla alive essentially was to try and condition her, and, uh, and maybe even win her over, which is yeah, which is disgusting. On the 4th and 5th of November 2016, during this time, cadaver dogs and investigators were brought in. Unfortunately, the dogs would go on to find bodies, and at roughly 10am on the 4th of November, they found the body of Charles Carver. The body was found in a shallow grave. Todd was then seen walking with detectives. It has been said that he brought them to the other graves. So yeah, there's some speculating that the cadaver dogs found the rest of the bodies, whereas Todd was taken to the site and and pointed out all the different graves. But yeah, in total, he's obviously killed four people in the superbike motorsports murders and then an additional three 
um, at this property. He's he's killed um, Johnny, Megan, and Charlie. And Kaylee are the only surviving one. On the 6th of November 2016, following a confession that implicated him in the Superbike Motorsports murders, Todd appeared in court. He was charged with four counts of murder, one count for each of his victims during this attack. On the 7th of November 2016, more bodies are unearthed. They are identified as Megan and Johnny Coxie. These are the last bodies found at the Woodruff property, but other locations known to be frequented by Cole Hep are also searched. So that is the timeline for the Amazon review killer, um, but we're going to go into a little bit of aftermath now. So some aftermath uh, for the case itself. Obviously, there's still a, so the first trial has started for the Superbike Motorsports murders, but there will be additional trials ongoing here. It was only after his killing spree that the police were able to discover that Todd had been leaving behind an online trail of his murderous thoughts. He created an Amazon account under the name Me. Using this account and the Amazon wishlist feature, Todd left reviews such as... Works excellent. Getting the neighbor to stand still while you chase him with it is hard enough without having an easy-to-use chainsaw. He reviewed items such as small shovels and said for users to keep in car for when you have to hide the bodies and you left the full-size shovel at home. He also reviewed the padlocks that we used to lock Kayla inside of the shipping container. He said solid locks. Have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure will slow them down till they're too old to care. And there were some other items that he would purchase as well, or at least add to his uh, wish list, including a stun gun, which he left the following review for. Seriously trying to find a reason to zap one of my agents for being lazy. It's going to be the new office motivational tool. He then had a shackle padlock and a master padlock, um, and he was literally joking about having locks for his locks. He also left this time not a five-star review, but a four-star review for an SOG Pentagon fixed blade knife. Uh, where he said the following. Haven't stabbed anyone yet, but I am keeping the dream alive. And when I do, it'll be with a quality tool like this. And there are a couple of other uh, reviews that he left relating to camouflage equipment and uh, talking about one particular one where he bought a 16 foot by 20 foot camouflage piece of tarp, claiming to have covered a car with it. But but also with Charlie's car, he just uh, spray painted it brown and put some branches over it. But this review that he left under the camouflage tarp was particularly gruesome and he left the following review. I covered my car with it and now it's lost. Has anyone seen a 2014 BMW in the woods? Don't play, it's mine. Uh, so yeah, this this Amazon user, me, that was uh, Todd Colehep, uh, posted a total of 140 reviews. Uh, in all, with the majority of them being between May and September of 2014. So basically into the in the months building up to him, well, first of all, killing Johnny and Megan, but also then kidnapping, uh, kidnapping Kayla and killing Charlie. So these are all kind of concurrent with his crimes, which is, yeah, yeah. he's they're trying to be kind of comical in them. But there are also some really horrific kind of more, dad banter. Yeah. Horrific, sinister dad banter. And on that, <laughs> I thought, as this case is about Amazon, let's get some bloody trivia on the go. <laughs> Hit it. Tommy's trivia. <laughs> That's terrific. Oh, that music. Oh, God. Just gets the vibe up. I'm actually using that as my pre-drink song now for nights out. Put that on. <laughs> Everyone's just like, wow, I'm just suddenly in a much better mood. And I said, oh, well, that's terrific. Anyway, so I thought for this week, um, you think Amazon, you think the main man, Jeff Bezos. Let's learn some stuff about Jeff that maybe we don't actually know. Bezos. Yeah, sorry. Including his surname. Huh? 
just including his surname. Things that we don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just, a, just a rib, just harmless rib. That's cool, man. No, I'll leave you to it. Yes, thank you, mate. So yeah, things we don't know about Jeff Bezos. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's just, you know, keeping it light. Not too heavy and too long-winded. Um, oh. But uh, yes, we're going to go into some things, which, I mean, I'm sure some of these you might know already, but looking at a little bit of detail about other things, even even going to go back to 2006 and see something that he left a review on on Amazon. So that to look forward to. But anyway, so um, so Bezos' net worth is $162.1 billion, which is pretty hefty i know he lost an awful lot a lot of bread yeah a lot of bread he lost a lot with his divorce but he's one of the world's richest men and he earns around two thousand five hundred and thirty seven dollars per second cha-ching yeah which is hideous uh just as a reference musk's net worth is 232 billion so yeah i mean bezos was ahead back in the day but musk has overtaken him quite quickly um yeah once whilst digging around in the kind of uh the muck on the internet trying to find some things about Bezos I found there's a creepy photo of him eating an iguana at an award ceremony when he was there to collect an award it's just a picture of him like with a big iguana there and a fork and a bit of meat on it it's just it's a very unsettling image um he'd also um one of his big things and it seems to be the big thing now if you've got just endless amount of money is is space as aerospace and it's trying to conquer space um, he founded Blue, Blue Origin um which is an American aerospace manufacturer and he, he, he's quoted as saying, the solar system could easily support a trillion humans. And if we had a trillion humans, we would have a thousand Einsteins and a thousand Mozarts and unlimited for all practical purposes, resources from solar power and so on. So he's kind of planning life in space, which does that appeal to you, Dan? Not really one for me. Uh, yeah, I would. I'd be happy to jump on the old Mars expedition. 18 months in a space capsule. I wouldn't mind that. Don't you come back with all your different density bones and not really ready I don't to think you back. come back if you go to Mars. That's the downside. You did say 18 months, though. So what's the, you just... As in the trip there is 18 months. Oh, is it? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Shit, I me. mean, you can do it quicker, but you need to really kind of tie up the orbits and all that shit. I but... thought New Zealand was long. His interjections are very interesting in this week's episode. And I'm looking forward to this riddle, the answer to the riddle, which oh, um, yeah. we'll be going back to. What about deep sea life? Would you not? I don't know if I talk talk this much over the interesting facts. Do I? Oh, you definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll finish the quote anyway. At least I'm, give me that. Uh, Bezos said during a 2018 interview that he considers Blue Origin as the most important thing he's done in his life. So yeah, very interested to see where that where that goes to. And lots of people say all his rockets look very phallic and cock-like. Yeah, they do. Oh, so there you go. So I mean, I suppose they have to be somewhat phallic, don't they, in nature? Yeah. To- I mean, he, if you look at Bezos from from when he was just started Amazon, he was kind of like a little bit geeky, and now he looks quite muscular and and, and like Bruce Willisy. Hench, and he's like, you know, people have a bit of a midlife crisis. They get a, a car and they go you get a sports car. And they go, that's just charge your dick. He's actually making rockets that look like a cock. So he's gone yeah. the next level, next level there. Um, he loves Lizzo. Uh, he once tweeted, "I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm a hundred percent Lizzo's biggest fan," <laughs> which. Again, is is not expected. Um, we were talking earlier on about Todd's. Um, isn't sorry to interrupt. Isn't Lizzo a lot of in controversy trouble? right now? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's not on us, is it? No. As we mentioned with Todd's Todd's land, um, he spent what eighty thousand to get a chain fence on it around mm. it. Bezos, uh, who's got a five hundred million dollar yacht, it costs sixty million a year for upkeep. That is disgusting, wow. isn't it? That is insane. Yeah. Um, his dad was a circus performer. And he was a prominent unicyclist in Albuquerque. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. And the last one is the review, which I know you guys are dying to hear. Mm-hmm. So he, he's also is, is known to leave reviews. In 2006, he left a review on a 128-ounce jug of milk. It's definitely milk, yeah, not lube. No, it's milk, yeah, definitely milk. Cool. I love milk so much that I've been drinking it since the day I was born. He didn't, did he? That's the review. Which is, yeah, that's what you put. Is it five, five stars? Got to be. I think it might be four. Oh, Jeff. But, um, yeah, so he, he's dad banter as well. So wow. it, it does like a special person to leave an Amazon review, I think. But um, that's just a little bit more about Jeff. So I think that we all feel a bit more close to Jeff now. And uh, <laughs> terrific. See you later. Tommy's trivia. <laughs> that's terrific. Very good. Thanks so much. But yeah, deep deep water travel um, could happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was the percentage of deep sea that's been explored in comparison to space is significant. Yeah, we know more about space than we do the deep sea about yeah. the uh, deep sea. Yeah, yeah. But I just I don't, as soon as it gets dark, I get scared in in terms of water. Yeah. Mm. Same with we. Yes. Yeah. Um, Trying to remember what Ben's on is now. Yeah, it was the uh, it was the bad rev- worst reviewed products. All right, um, Obama, Trump. I'm going to give the point to Tom this week, Ben. Oh, you fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because this things like space really kind of, yeah. you know tickle my fancy so if next time interject anything space related car related so avoid toilet paper yeah i'm not too bothered about toilet paper to be honest mm. it's not to say that you're not doing a good job it's just mm. it's just a really high level these days <laughs> yeah <laughs> you'll get comments people going bems is bends is yeah. better yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you're getting yeah. a lot of support for your interest yeah, in no, it's, that's all like that yeah that's the real trophy yeah, definitely, man. Pity should be held higher than 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 yeah. uh, success for sure. For sure. Back to the episode, I suppose. <laughs> so yeah, um, so Jeff Bezos left one review, but Todd Colehep, uh, one hundred and forty reviews just between May and September of twenty fourteen. So he's arrested now um, and taken in for full interrogation. Todd was given a plea deal initially, and this meant that he was able to escape the death penalty in return for more information surrounding the case. In addition to this, it also stopped the families of the victims from having a prolonged court case, which could have resulted in more upset. As Seventh Circuit solicitor Barry Burnett commented, It is not fair for families to wait years and years for justice. Todd pleaded guilty to murder and kidnapping on the 26th of May 2017. He was charged with seven counts of murder, two counts for kidnapping and one count of sexual assault. For his crimes, he was sentenced to serve seven consecutive life sentences and he was denied the possibility of parole. Now, during his initial interrogation, Todd agreed to tell the truth about his crimes in exchange for two things. Number one, the opportunity to talk to his mother and give her a photograph. And number two, the opportunity... Obama toilet roll. Could have been. Could have been all the Trump decoration, ornamental decoration for the Christmas tree. Or the coyote piss. Um, Or number two, the opportunity to transfer his savings to the college fund of his then girlfriend's child. So basically, and even then, I don't know how they can just trust him for his word. He says, oh yeah, I'll tell you the truth if I can have these two things. And yeah, he's a man that likes to fabricate things. I would have thought that 
like if you, I don't know how the, how the law works it, but if you if you're sentenced to life, we know without even the, the chance seven life sentences, the money you have in the bank, surely that is something you can go give this money to this person. That's just a right you have, surely. Well, I, I don't know if that if they factor in like you have to pay settlements Legal. to mm-hmm. yeah, um, because some people have to sign their estates over and stuff, don't they? Went to mm-hmm. victims um, probably still got a prime account as well. Probably has yeah yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's a, it's it's a strange one, but he wants to basically he had, as well as all of the things he was doing, he did somehow manage to maintain a fairly good social life. He had a girlfriend, and basically, yeah, he said, "I want to talk to my mum and give her this photograph, and I want to I want to basically transfer all of my savings to the college fund of my girlfriend's child." And yeah, the interrogation again. So that there's so much body cam footage available online of the um, of the rescue or, or, or kind of the realization that Kayla has been kept in a shipping container. Then there's also the body cam footage of him being arrested. The full interrogation footage of Todd is available online as well. And his mood is really bizarre because he just seems so relaxed at this point. And he's like, "I'm not worried." It's like John Goodman, isn't he? He's just kind of chilled. He's just having a fun chat with like his friends, especially when he gets he tries to show off about like sexual activity it's just it's, disgusting yeah. yeah so yeah he's sat there with two detectives and his mood once he's sat there and he's had the chance to speak to his mum and transfer that money um his mood is almost lifted he seems relieved and completely aware of his fate you can hear him be- as the interrogation goes on you can just hear him becoming more and more laid back and relaxed during it um which again for us is not that common um there's a particular piece in the interrogation where he basically thanks the detectives and says you know i'm not really worried about my conscience anymore um i'm going to tell you everything um so we'll play a, a short piece from the opening of interrogation for you now there's probably not a lot we're going to be able to do for you <clears throat> giving you a, a clear conscience is one of the only things we can honestly i'm not worried about my conscience you gave me what i wanted what i wanted was to be have the opportunity to take care of my mom, whether my girlfriend accepts it or not, to at least attempt to take care of her and her kids. Do you still want me to reach out and talk? I have not yet, but do you still want me to reach out and talk to her to see if she wants to come see you and talk to you? If she would, please. Okay, I will. The biggest thing is please let her know that whether I screwed up, I can't fix it. Mm -hmm. One thing I'd say as well is, is the police have handled that perfectly. Um, in terms of they do they basically like act as if they're you know are impressive things he's saying and they really get like even more out of him but it it shows massive signs of someone who's very self-conscious has been bullied a lot you know in his life and he's thinking this is me showing off about all the things i've done yeah yeah it's just it's so bizarre when you actually hear and think about the what he's talking about in context it's it's very fascinating to watch so, um, yeah, Todd would reply to his mother, you did not have enough fingers when she asked for the total number of people he had murdered throughout his killing spree. That's seven, wasn't it? Seven, yeah. So I don't know if he's talking yeah, so about... She, she, only had, she only had seven fingers. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, maybe, maybe just meant on the one hand. Yes. Yeah. Um, he also said he didn't know what to do with her. She didn't do anything wrong. I didn't want to hurt her when being asked why he kept Kayla Brown alive. His mother also added, all he told me is that Charlie had a really smart mouth and that he didn't like it. So yeah, the mother, we've got some more more quotes coming up from uh, Regina, but she, yeah, she seemed to almost victim blame at various parts of her television interviews and court appearances that she would make. After he was sentenced and Todd uh, finally left the courtroom, Judge Henson addressed the victim's families saying, what you've gone through is beyond what a lot of people would ever understand. 
Todd is now serving his time at Broad River Correctional Institute, and since his imprisonment, Todd has remained to cause a stir within the press. So yeah, always likes to be in the papers, always likes to um, have his name out there. I think he was definitely searching for infamy. Uh, He joined a lawsuit which focused on the poor treatment of inmates within protective custody, with them claiming that they are denied access to basic human rights. These include access to medical care or the opportunity to decrease their sentence. Which is, I don't think decreasing your sentence is, is that a basic right? I don't think so. Maybe it's the uh, the the right to appeal or the right to um, mm. go, you know, push for a second trial. Todd was placed under protective custody for unknown reasons. For him to receive this, the prison must have decided that either he would come into harm or that he would cause harm to fellow prisoners while serving his time. So that, that's an interesting one. Because, I mean, he is, from the pictures, uh, from all the footage, he's a large, large guy. Yeah. Obviously, earlier in life, he'd been bullied and physically abused a lot. So I don't know if that's for his own safety um, or if, yeah, if they feel he could harm other prisoners. However, in 2018, Todd was moved to general population to live with the majority of prisoners and is now said to work as a ward keeper's assistant. Todd was not the only person to be jailed in regards to this case. A man named Dustin Lawson was also sentenced as he pleaded guilty to supplying firearms and silencers to Todd Colehep. So yeah, there's crime scene photos as well. He's got like one of those workman's cabinets in one room of his house and there's a pull-out tray that literally looks like a hitman's workshop. It's like a little pistol with a large silencer. How he got hold of that? Is it like uh, in Fargo, series one, when the brother shows him? Yes, yeah, yeah, it's exactly like that. And it is, it's literally this tray with ammunition, pistol and a huge silencer. And again, uh, this this Dustin Lawson was the individual that uh, somehow supplied them with that equipment. Dustin received 36 counts for his involvement in the killings. At his court hearing, prosecutors told the court that Dustin had a level of knowledge about how the firearms and silencers were going to be used. The families of the victims of Todd had continued to fight for justice. In 2018, they pleaded that the death penalty should be used after laws were changed, meaning there was no longer the ability to carry out the lethal injections in the state of South Carolina. Senator William Timmons of Greenville did propose two bills that would hopefully change this. One bill would shield firms that supply lethal injections. The other would mean that those sentenced to death would be killed using an electric chair when the lethal injection was not available. The electric chair just seems so archaic in my head. I was under the impression it had completely gone. Mm. I've got a little little electric chair update for you. Ben Carter's... As of this year, the only places that still reserve the electric chair as an option for execution are the US states of Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, which is this week's case, Kentucky and Tennessee, as well as Arkansas, Mississippi and Oklahoma laws basically state that uh, it can only be used should the lethal injection ever be held to be unconstitutional. So basically, it's there there just in case. If, if needed, it's sort of it's oh, Sparky's sat in the background. In 2021, a bill was passed by the South Carolina House of Representatives that meant the firing squad could be used as an alternative if the lethal injection was not in use. South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster said, We are one step closer to providing victims, families and loved ones with the justice and closure they are owed by law. I will sign this legislation as soon as it gets to my desk. Henry McMaster did sign this bill. Yeah, firing squad. I mean... Mm. I think an electric chair or a bullet in the head. I think a bullet in the head, probably. Definitely. I mean, it's a morbid thing to say. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, if we ever get in trouble, guys, do, do, um, do let them know. In September of 2017, in a letter he wrote to the New York Post, uh, Todd made the unbelievable claims that Brown wasn't raped and that he was actually trying to help her. He said, 
She was in the shipping container because I didn't want to hurt her. Refused to turn her over to someone else who would and was buying time while I figured out a way to resolve this non-violently. Oh, so you're such a nice guy, Todd, then, for, for doing everything non-violently and trying to, trying to save the woman. It's horrific. It's, I don't, it's like his mum, because his mum will say some very warped things about the victims of this case as well. But he's, yeah, he's, he's making the claim that essentially, oh, I, I didn't want to hurt her, I was non-violent, I was just trying to figure out a solution to it. You, you, you got caught, and that's why yeah. it ended. So Todd also bizarrely made the claim that instead of Kayla being his victim, Kayla was actually a, quote, As big a criminal as I am. All of my victims were criminals. No one wants to really look at who they were, families, connections. Not that it makes it right, I was wrong to do what I did. He's trying to do the, the, the uh, Uncle Chop Chop Chopper uh, way out there where people go, oh, well, you just killed people that were actually deserved it. But no, I mean, if you look at the victims there, it's yeah. very much he's trying to paint a picture, which is he's using made up colours there, Ben. He, I didn't, he basically was trying to say that two of them were drug dealers or known to supply drugs and mm. therefore criminals and deserve to die. Um, we're trying to justify his crimes that way. So. What are you saying about the four that killed him in the bike shop? I mean, are they criminals? No. They, they laughed at him, allegedly laughed at him. Yeah, because he tried to return the bike. He, he wrecked. So, yeah. Mm. Um, Kayla Brown received $6.3 from Todd's estate in August 2018. Uh, since her release, Kayla did manage to find love again after Charlie, but sadly her fiancé, Adam Mason, would take his own life in February 2019. Then in July of the same year, she would be arrested for third-degree domestic violence after she and her boyfriend at the time, James Moore, got into an altercation. She now lives with her daughter, and the name of any new partner is unknown. So yeah, she's got 6.3 million, yeah, and her life is... I mean, money doesn't solve anything, really, but it's, it's still been a very um, turbulent time. I think there must be so much trauma that she's still reliving, based on what Todd did to her. And yes, yeah, Todd in the... In the um, interrogation as well was saying things like she wanted the uh, collar she wanted me to treat her like a dog but i didn't want to do that i wouldn't do that i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't do that to my dog and it just goes in such detail and it's just mm. it's absolutely gross um, so shortly after todd was convicted kayla made the following statement outside the courtroom mostly i just want to say thank you to everyone for all the prayers and all the work you put into looking for me if it wasn't for everyone out there i don't think i would be here today she also did an extended interview on an episode of Dr. Phil, where she explained in great detail her relationship with Todd prior to him taking her captive, and exactly how he did it. He unlocked the gate, and he drove his vehicle through, and we drove our vehicle through, and he got back out of his car and locked the gate back behind us. And it didn't seem odd then. I figured maybe he had animals out there or something, but I, I didn't know why, and it, like, it didn't seem like a big deal. He told me it was a farm. But now thinking back, well, I mean, why did he... Why did he lock the gate back? We go inside. It's a garage, fairly large garage. Um, we go out inside. He tells us that we're going to be clearing some underbrush, that he um, made some trails and that the brush was growing up and he wanted to um, take hedge clippers and clip the underbrush. He gave us both the bottle of water. Um, he gave us both some hedge clippers and um, he said he was going to take us and show us what trail he wanted us to start on. And then we walked out the door and he said that he needed to go back in and get something. Todd's mother, Regina Tague, passed away in 2017, but she managed to cause some controversy when victim-blaming in various television appearances. Regina went on to say that she hates how her son Todd is called a serial killer. She told CBS for a 48 hours special documentary that was being made about the case, We're victims too. Todd is not a monster. He's not even close to it. He wasn't doing it for enjoyment. He was doing it because he was mad and he was hurt. 
Which that makes it okay to kill (laughs) seven people. Asked why her son tied up the woman, she told CBS. She saw him kill her boyfriend and he didn't know what to do with her. Couldn't turn her loose. She'd go get the police. So yeah, she's almost siding with, well, that's weird. Yeah, he, he couldn't let her go. She'd go to the police. As to why he killed the owner and employees of the Superbike Motorsports in Chesney, uh, his mother said, Todd wanted to return a motorcycle and they laughed at him, made jokes at him. So again, it's pathetic, isn't it? It's like, oh, that's the reason why he went in the back with a gun and killed four people. Yeah, it's, I mean, she even, she was also quoted in, in numerous reports when he, when he, do you remember when he, um, well, was first locked away at the age of 15 for that horrific crime of a, a neighbourhood girl? His mother basically asked for leniency, saying that um, Todd knows that what he did was wrong and he's sorry, but they won't even give him a chance to make a good life out of this. They don't even stop to think that he walked the girl home. Does that sound like a dangerous criminal? And obviously, mm. yeah, she made a big point about, oh, he walked her home, he's not a monster, he's done this, he's done that. And yeah, I think she had a very, very biased and warped view of this case. Um, but again, she she never stayed in touch with him either time that he was in prison, apart from the letters. Never visited. Yeah, I mean, especially with the abandonment when he was younger and all that stuff, it, it's strange that she suddenly doesn't seem to be so quick to wash her hands of him now. But um, yeah, it's, very, it's a very bizarre one. So on that 48 Hours, the CBS show that was made for the case um, where Todd's mother was interviewed, one commenter wrote... I think the son's madness infected the mother, not the other way around. Still, she should know better than to explain away his actions. And another noted, 48 Hours also interviewed Scott Ponder's widow, who was initially blamed for her husband's murder. So this was the superbike murders. You sometimes forget about the others affected by these awful crimes. She could very well have been arrested and convicted of the murders. So this was, yeah, when the blood blood samples were confused and, yeah, they were basically blaming the pregnant widow of one of of Todd's first victims for those crimes. And she could, yeah, if that had um, not been proven to have been a mistake on their part, she could have been convicted, uh, which is a a terrifying thought. But, uh, yeah, all in all, a, a really, really bleak case. There's a lot more to it, as we said at the start of the episode, uh, other than just a guy that made a few dodgy reviews on Amazon. It's yeah, yeah. When you see his, when you see his reviews, and that's the thing I, I, I'd say as well is you look go online and you see those stupid reviews of people trying to be funny and do those kind of things. <clears throat> and when you actually think some of those, maybe look at them for a little bit longer and think, could there be something more behind that? Yeah. Um, because yeah, it's, you just kind of go, oh, that's just someone being stupid and making a shit joke. But yeah, these ones were actually true. So at the beginning of the episode, producer Dan uh, left our tongues curling with a, uh, a, a a true crime riddle. Curling? Does that mean is that happiness? Yeah. Let me refresh your memory of the uh, the cheeky little yeah. riddle. Uh, a woman shoots her husband before holding him underwater for five minutes. Later, they head out for a romantic dinner together. How can this be? How can it be? I've got an answer, but maybe Ben maybe. wants to go first. Yeah. I don't know. Um... I think I know the answer, but I've got a more jokey answer. I've got more of a Ben answer. Do your Ben answer. Yeah, do your Ben answer. So my Ben answer was, um, okay, um, the husband is a scuba diver and she shot him off the boat. Shot him off the boat. I've heard people say shot him off the boat before. Yeah, but she wouldn't have held him though, would she, for five minutes? So then I thought, okay, is she a photographer? Oh yeah, that's what I've got. You got it? She's developing the photo. Yeah. The answer is, she shot her husband with a camera and developed the photo. Well done, boys. That's good. That's good. That's a good riddle, Dan. 
Well, um, yeah, nice easy one to start. I'll, I'll get progressively harder uh, as we go on. <laughs> How's no one reacting to that? To what? I'll get progressively harder. I just did the worst <laughs> giggle. <laughs> you're talking about my cock? He's curling his tongue about it. Oh, your riddles. Yeah. And he's shooting him off the boat with it. Oh. Um, thank you for that, producer. I'm looking forward to the more riddles. And yes, uh, we'll be back again next week with a brand new case. Which, um, yes, the series, we've, I think this is probably the rogue series we've, we've ever done. It's, it's, mm. We're going all over the place. We're going with some ones people know and a lot of ones people aren't too aware of. I guess with an 18-episode series, it's always going to be a bit, you know, out there with the cases. And, um, of course, don't forget, there's also going to be a case picked by you guys, but we'll make you very aware in terms of when we're going to do that and how we're going to do that. Yes, indeed. We're back to old Blighty uh, next week, and we're going back uh, a fair distance in time, so we'll, we'll leave that there. Another riddle to end on. Not really a riddle. Uh, but no, we hope everyone enjoyed this week's episode. Thank you so, so much for, for listening to our podcast, for supporting us. Uh, if you can't Thank wait... You. as Thank you so much. Thank you kindly. Uh, if you can't wait, we have got a website where there's a ton of extra content, uh, icmap.co.uk. And uh, be sure to follow us on our socials, which is at Pod, Twitter, Freds, Instagram, Facebook. Um, we're pretty much everywhere, guys. So, um, yeah, be sure to follow because we'll let you know what we're up to on I've also there. been tinkering away with um, Phil, our animator, with some new merch. So <laughs> it's very really exciting. You mentioned the horizon, so I'm looking forward to sharing that with you guys. It looked good on a on a an individual down a bowling alley. That's the new design. I think we look smart in a on an individual at a bowling alley. Yeah, I think we want to branch out a bit though, rather than just yeah. we, anyone can wear it anywhere. But, they could um, anyway, yeah, but it looked really in good. Particular bowling yeah. alley. Yeah, I could see where you're going with it. I can't. <laughs> yeah, very very excited to see the new merch. And I'm very excited for your interesting facts next week, Ben. Yeah. Very excited. Remember the rules? Space, Space. yes. Toilet paper, shit. (laughs) Anyway, guys, like we always say. We say this all the time. Keep doing what you're doing. Wow. Unless it's interesting facts. Whoa. Smashing your room up with a hammer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Which I I heard that first part, actually. (laughs) which I kind of feel like doing that with my room now. Is that cut deep, Ben? Yeah, cut deep. It always does. But <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. We'll be back, won't we? We'll be back. But, uh, we'll be yeah, back, baby. Yeah, don't, you leave, are, baby. don't be leaving dodgy reviews or thinking of a return ticket to Don't Mars. eat an iguana. Yeah, don't do that. Fuck's sake. Got that much money eating iguanas. Was that not like a pun play on the Amazon thing? You know, I'm a, I've, got, I've got the real Amazon. Take that. Ow. To native iguana. Oh. I don't know. It'd be a horrible bit if he's doing know, a bit. But for him, mm. anyway, he likes that singer, horrible singer, Lizzo. Lizzo. All best. Uh, allegedly horrible. Allegedly. No, he said it. He said no. no, no allegedly. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Take care. All the best. Two pip.
Rory and Kid here from the award-winning podcast, This Paranormal Life. Every week we investigate a paranormal story and decide if it's real or a hoax. Like the time a guy claimed he punched Bigfoot. Or when a UFO showed up at a football game in front of thousands of people. Each episode has sound effects, music, and storytelling that feels so real, you'll never sleep again. You will. Stop it. You're going to scare away new listeners. Check out This Paranormal Life every Tuesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.